0: Under channel, the, the under the under channel. the under channel the
1: under channel the under channel. Welcome to episode ten of the Under Channel.
2: Nah,
0: they Tan! a tan! a fucking ten. Uh, the original bullshit podcast. This is Robert Under. Uh, with me, as always, I've got Aaron. Good evening, everyone. And along for the ride, I got Scrimps. Yo. And I got Steve. How's it going? How's everybody doing tonight? Good. Pretty good, pretty good. Pretty solid. So, fuck, we don't really have anything to kick it off with, like, topic-wise.
3: Well, on the way here, a bee flew in my car, and I didn't know if it had flown out, so I literally was, like, hugging the steering wheel the whole time I was here, going on the way, just in case if I sat back (laughs) and it was on the seat, I didn't want to get stung and, like, just fucking veer off the side of the road and just crash (laughs) into a gas station and just blow the damn bee up just to get rid of it. So that was a good time. (laughs) <laughs> a fun time being
0: here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so first up tonight, we're going to talk about uh, the recently announced, well, not recently announced, but the uh, Spyro Trilogy that's uh, getting a release. Uh, Spyro Reignited, I believe is what it's called. The Spyro Reignited Trilogy. The Reignited Trilogy um, is getting a physical release, uh, but unfortunately, uh, who, anyone who wants to play games two and three will still need a internet connection uh, to download that content. Uh, so... I see this as the official nail in the coffin, right, uh, of the physical media format. It's been dying for a long time. Um, specifically, video games are getting more and more – well, I don't even say specific because music is the most acceptable. But video games have become more and more acceptable of, hey, I'm, st- I'm willing to pay that 59.96 even for a, a regular copy. Yeah. Right. Right nowadays with music, your digital copies are usually cheaper than if you're buying your physical copies. Well, with the video games, they're doing it at the exact same price. Um
2: it's very rare that um some companies do give you a discount price. It's like, oh, it'll be $40 if you do it digitally. It's very rare, but it does happen.
0: Yeah, and it's it comes at a time uh not only the times going that way, but video games is, are at its at their most popular, right? Uh, video game is not niche markets anymore. Um big thing uh with it used to be nerds played video games. Yeah. Well, nowadays everybody plays Call of Duty. Everybody plays Fortnite. Everyone everyone is a gamer. So, um, what do you guys think? you guys collectors or in general? Have yes. you been collectors? Yes. Yes, you are, Steve? Yes. What do you collect? Oh, I'm not proud of it, but I have
2: collected majority of the Amiibos that was announced.
0: Oh, okay. Nice.
2: Yeah, just like, so, you know, you bought one of them for Smash Brothers, and it's like, oh, it looks lonely. And then you just bought more and more, and it's just, it's bad. Has it gotten sick? No, I stopped. Oh, good. Did but I, believe- I have a complete shelf of, of oh, them. Oh, you didn't flip it yet? No, I don't believe in flipping oh. unless I have to sell them for financial reasons. But
4: yeah, yep. not that huh? point yet.
2: <laughs> no, I'm not poor enough where I have to be like, all right, Amiibo Connect collection. You have served me well.
4: First off, Luigi. Bye. I Did don't... you even
3: use them like for a game?
2: Yes,
4: okay. I actually um, I used them for Smash mostly.
0: So they're opened.
2: Yeah, they're all oh, open. Nice. They're ju- they're all just collecting dust
0: right now, to be honest. But they're just they're all like organized. So I think the big the future of video gaming is gonna be collectibles. Right? So when you want uh, you know Final Fantasy, a new one comes out, you're not gonna go to the store and buy a disc. You know, you'll order a special edition of the game and you'll get a little statue. And I know they already do similar things like that. A lot that of go games along do with that. bundles, but that'll be instead of a physical media. Like it won't even exist anymore. You won't think of like for a, a true video game collector, when you go to their house, they won't have a wall full of games. They'll have a wall full of little trinkets and statues. Or uh, I got a fucking baseball cap that when I, you know, I
1: got
0: because you know you ordered the new MLB game, whatever. It yeah, is. Uh, I don't feel like that's there yet. That's
4: for like the like extra collectors. Yeah, it's not very the rare. Archivers. like when we all used to buy games mm-hmm. before this point nowadays we it was an our way of archiving yeah i've owned this look how much i use this game how it can barely run <laughs> <laughs>
2: i have some old discs that like i bear it barely works like it has like bad loading times i'm like oh is it broken <laughs> just burnt a
4: hole right through it just laser. keeps on spinning it's like yes 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 yes, yes, yes.
0: okay I'm sad to see it, um, to see it go. Obviously you guys know I collect like fucking everything. Uh, so it's, it's uh, it's just to me, it means like at a certain point collections are going to become finite, right? It's like they will stop making DVDs or they will stop me ma- and they still pump out VHSs nowadays, you know, Maybe 100 new titles a year, specialty stuff. On VHS. But you're not going to find it. It's like if I. Uh, Boy, have you lost your mind because I'll help you find it. Like, I don't f- think they do VHS. If we did a The Under Channel <laughs> movie, I could put it out on VHS. It, 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 I would have to charge people $15 each to have custom boxes <laughs> and everything made, but we could do a VHS. They're more specialty than hmm. mass produced. I, I, I don't buy it. I mean, I get what you guys are saying, but who
3: buys you your video games? If you're a kid growing up, Who buys you your video games? Your parents. Who are you begging? No. Who are you begging to buy you your video game? Your parents. Your parents. Your parents. But when your parents say no, who do you go to next? Grandma. Grandma. Grandma Grandma (laughs) is not going to jump (laughs) on the internet and download a game for you. She's going to go to Target, and she's going to be like, do you have the new Fortnite game? And nobody's going to, nobody can explain it to her that you can't
0: buy a physical copy. Yeah, but, but everybody's voice that you just said is going to be dead in 50 years. Yeah, <laughs> there's
4: going to be future yeah. grandmas. <laughs> like. yeah.
0: Yeah. Your wife is going to be a grandma.
4: Yeah, Wild right? accusations.
0: <laughs> I don't know. is she, is she collect? Uh, I'm, I don't have any video game systems. <laughs> well, she's accepted it already. No, I, No, you have a video game collection. It's digital, though. It's a purely digital collection. I don't have a system to play it on. Let's
3: just put it that way. (laughs) There is a PlayStation Cloud that has my collection on it that I don't have access to. That's brutal. (laughs) All right. Let's do some uh, sports.
1: Sports.
3: You got this one? All right. So uh, the biggest thing we're talking about right now, um, and it's a story, Fedorov, Sergey Fedorov, and the debate as to whether or not or should... His number be retired. Should it hang from the rafters of Little Caesars Arena, Gordy Howe Arena, however you want to say that? Um, so there's so much debate about it. And I watched, I grew up watching Sergey Fedorov as a wing, um, you know, throughout his prime. And to be honest with you, I can understand why there are problems you know, within the organization as to why they don't want Fedorov's number in the ceiling.
4: Let me hear him. I don't know.
3: So, okay, so what's going on with it is Fedorov is one of the greatest players to ever skate on a frozen surface, period, period. There's there's not even a debate for it. And if you want to just separate him from just as a hockey player, and you just want to be as a Red Wing because his, re- his numbers should be retired, he is one of the single greatest Red Wings to mm-hmm. ever lace up the skates. With the Russian Five? He or? was with the Russian Five, yep. Yeah. He was part of that whole thing that started, I think it was in 96, Scotty Bowman mm-hmm. put yeah. those guys together. Uh, he was originally drafted by the Red Wings in 1989. Um, at the time, he was playing for CSKA Moscow, and he was actually on a line with other future Hall of Famers, Pavel Bure and Alexander Mogilny. And those guys are lights-out, awesome players too. Hit that uh, hey-who's-that-guy bump. <laughs> who's that guy? What? Who's that dude? <laughs> <laughs> so his number would end up being the eighth jersey to hang from the rafters um, with all the other Red Wing greats. Yeah. Um, and the debate is Zetterberg's going to be up there. Dotsuk's going to be up there. Will they get up there before Fedorov? Why hasn't Fedorov got his due yet? So one of the biggest things is is the Red Wings went through a lot to get Fedorov on the team. They drafted him. Okay, so you're used to how that works. You draft a guy, he comes, plays for your system, big whoopie-doo. Little bit different back in the 90s. He's a Russian player. The Cold War was still a thing. He was not allowed to play for a United States team. The Red Wings actually smuggled him, and he was one of the many players to defect from Russia back then. Um, they snuggled, They smuggled him out. They snuggled him in. <laughs> they, uh, from the Goodwill Games, he was playing in a game, um, and they actually were able to smuggle him out. He actually had to leave the ice surface, go to the dressing room, fake that he was coming back out, if my memory serves me correctly. He put on street clothes, and he exited through an exit with the general public. He went to an airport, got on board an airplane or a jet, um, one of Mike Illich's private jets, and flew to Detroit. To become a Red Wing. So, I mean.
4: That's some CIA shit. It, it, it was. A, his family
3: was in danger back in Russia because he defected from the USSR.
4: I, is he an American citizen now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. He's an American what citizen. What a true American. Now. Has there ever yeah.
3: been a Fedorov movie? That okay. Sounds great. So, there is a Russian Five book out there that is a great read. Why is it not an like, ESPN? It Rocky needs to be a 30 for 30. The Russian Five. Like, Why is it not? It should be. It, it's a great topic. So, anyways, um, you know, so we do all this stuff to get off here. He's appreciative. He goes on. He has a stellar career with the Red Wings. Four hundred goals as a wing, five hundred and fifty-four assists. That's nine hundred and fifty-four points in only nine hundred and eight games played. So he is over a point per game player.
2: Good ratio. Mm-hmm. Where oh, does yeah. that stand for most all time for Wayne's history?
3: Uh, for most all-time Wings history, he's 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 in the top ten, you know. So I I couldn't give you an exact thing on that, but okay, that's fair. You know, um, and even in just the NHL, he, for all statistical categories, he's among the top. He's um, he's the Pippin. And, and yeah, you know, and that's part of the turmoil with it too, you know. So as a player on the Red Wings during that time period, Nick Lidstrom was on your team. Steve Iserman. The man. The captain. You're not unseating Steve Iserman. Sergey Fedorov's talent level and his, I don't want to say attitude, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but his drive. He wanted to be the guy. Sergey Fedorov knew that he had the potential to be a guy. He was one of the best offensive players on the ice. One of the best two-way players. He could play defense. You know, So he he was just... An all-around great player. He was strong. He was fast. He knew what to do with the puck at all times in any situation. He was a guy that when he was on the ice, if you didn't take notice, you were getting burnt bad. you know. And if you had to play against him on the line, you had to know how to get the puck past him, and you probably weren't getting the puck past him. Um, he's one of the only players since 93-94 to take the Hart Trophy, which is hockey's MVP. The Selkie Trophy, which is the best defensive forward, and he also in that same year won the Lester B. Pearson Award, which is all the NHL players voting on who they think the best player in the NHL is. Wow. Hmm. And he, nobody's ever done that since. They've think of it as like a triple crown. Yeah, yeah. yeah nobody's definitely... done it ever since he did it. Um, so there was a lot of tension when it was time for his contracts to be renegotiated. They just won the Stanley Cup in '97. He was up to be moving on the Carolina hurricanes sent an offer sheet to him offering him however much money it ended up working out to like two million dollars a year yeah but the bonuses and the signing bonus and the incentives to the contract were pretty big so the the wings had no choice they had to match that contract otherwise Fedorov would walk so you know they, they ended up matching it um, then the next season you know, it, it's almost time for him to to move on again. And they end up coming up with what they call the Sergei Fedorov loan because they had mm-hmm. matched the Carolina Hurricanes. Sergei, so when you match a contract in the NHL, at least back then, whatever they said, that team that you matched, you have to match it. So the Wings go to the Stanley Cup and they win again. So in that contract with the Hurricanes, they just wanted him to get them to the finals. He would have been the captain of that team too. They just no, earned the, the conference finals. It wasn't even the Stanley Cup. Okay. And he would have got all his incentive money. The Illiches didn't have the money. mm so they had... The, still? The, the, yeah. <laughs> it was just a weird yeah. situation. Like, you could... And back then, there was no salary caps. So you could do whatever the fuck you this wanted. This before the $5 pizza, too. So <laughs> the Illich Empire was,
2: was still oh, in so early Oh, so this was before infancy. Little Caesars? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Caesars when people, was, around. was Little
4: Caesars when, was when around, still but dined in Little Caesars. Exactly. <laughs> so
3: they went out, and it's it's an actual thing. It's a coined phrase. The Sergey loan. Or the Fedorov loan. I might be misquoting it now. Uh, but they actually went to Comerica Bank, and Borrowed $26 million (laughs) against the Illich Foundation. All right, I thought you were about to say the Russian mob. (laughs) (laughs) And the might be just as bad. (laughs) You know, just to make it happen so they could keep him on their team. You know, then they go through it again. They go through the same turmoil again um, with him, you know, years later in 2002. And Mike Illich actually personally went to him to try and get him to stay with the team. He left. He went to uh, the Washington – no, actually, he went to – I apologize – they played the Capitals in the Cup Finals that year. He went to the Anaheim Mighty Ducks for less money.
2: Was that for just, less money? Was that to spite him, or was yeah,
3: because so- there it got ugly. It got ugly in Detroit with the contract negotiations and, and the this and that thing back and like, forth.
4: Like you were saying, he wanted to be the man. Yeah, he he was a assistant captain for so long, and I guess he just wasn't the leadership exactly role but he was the best man like you're the right your right-hand man is the best man but you can't always be captain when you're the best guy on the
0: show exactly and has any that's happened a few times in sports where you know there's been a super team kind of put together and then whoever was the second fiddle wants to go out and make their own right has that person ever been successful wherever they've gone I've never heard of yeah you know and I mean well Durant was the best player I mean, Fedorov but,
3: went on for another, I would count Durant. Nine Durant. years, he, but he only had best. 84. Goals. Yes.
0: So it wouldn't have been him. It would be if Harden went and did something. But um, yeah, because
2: Kyrie didn't, Irving didn't win a didn't win a championship. Pippen didn't win a championship.
0: Um, I
4: don't think anybody no, you're would right fl- no.
0: Yeah. I can't really. Uh, so anyone out there, if if you're listening and you're in a super team, don't leave because unless you're the guy in that team, you're probably not going to win anywhere else. <laughs> Ride the wave. So I guess. You're saying Fedorov should definitely be in the rafters. Absolutely. He's the first he, he got in the
3: Hall of Fame on his first, ba- first time around. At this point, he should be in the rafters. And I, during all this turmoil that we just talked about, I hated Fedorov. I hated him. I said, get rid of that bum. He doesn't give his all on the ice. He held out for half a season on us after winning the cup. You know, He wouldn't even come play. I didn't want him around anymore. I was so glad when he finally signed with somebody else. I didn't even care. But his numbers should be up there, absolutely. His numbers should be up there. He's one of the greatest.
2: He's all still times.
4: recognized and remembered as a great Wings.
0: Yeah, Steve. Up in Raptors.
2: Oh, oh, should absolutely. Like his numbers speak for themselves. I mean, sure, what Aaron says. I mean, it makes sense of why he kind of hasn't. But like, just let the past be the past, and just let's just remember the good times. Absolutely. Especially since the Wings are now in a team in rebuilding.
4: Yeah I should, I his name his
0: name is synonymous with Red Wings hockey in this town. It's nothing more than a grudge the only reason is keeping him out there. So
4: he had pride that he was holding it. Can you blame him though? I mean I can't I, I can't
2: I can't blame him. I mean if if you're considered probably like where where would you put
3: Fedorov all time amongst the wings?
2: No, just in player history.
3: Oh, he he's not even I mean maybe in the top 20 but I mean that's that you're talking about all those hockey players, like the the Oars and the Okay, Gretzky's, how about his um, era? Of
0: his era, God, that was such a ripe time of hockey, man. Back then, You're would talk- he would he be like a Pippin in that era? Oh, too? Absolutely. So he's like twelfth overall, yeah, in the league. Okay, because there's a whole every most teams have a star, and he's better than a lot of stars, mm-hmm. but he's not. He's not a super. He's star. not a super. Yeah, he was a superstar. He just wasn't mm. Steve Yzerman.
2: I mean, but it's really, really hard to beat Steve Eiserman yeah. though. It's the same thing with Pip, and it was—you
0: weren't going to beat Jordan, <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> not. All right, we're going to take a little bit of a serious turn, which is not something this show does very often. But what? Uh, there is a uh, terrorism case happening up in Flint right now, uh, about to be uh, opening up in federal court. Uh, Amar, uh, Amor Fatui. Um, there was an attack at an airport. Uh, in, in the Flint International Airport. And uh, what it was is uh, a man pulled out a knife, screamed a Akbar, and stabbed a um, security officer. Remember I mean, what in I the neck. You,
5: Do this, but then stab. This you, you stab, stab, swim, swim, stab.
0: So, anyone, uh, I'm sure anyone's heard of the story, but what's making headlines now is that his um, legal team is requesting that they're moving the trial from Flint down to Detroit because they want a greater um, uh, talent pool, uh, pool open for the wit- uh, for the jury, I should say. Okay. Yeah. Because well, they fear that uh, he effective. is being painted uh, in the Flint media in an incorrect manner.
4: Um, you need a just jury.
0: Well, second part uh, – all right, so let's start there. Do you guys think it's okay – do you guys think, one, he will move the trial – uh, and two, do you think he should be able to move the trial?
2: It's probably going to happen. I don't think he should, but it's, I mean, it, I, I don't mean, see why not. Let me just put
3: something into context for you. This has only happened once ever that a trial was
0: moved for somebody like this. Yeah. One mm-hmm. of the time oh, in God, history. Period. period.
2: It was the LJ case, wasn't it? No, no. No. no.
0: It was actually an interesting case. I can't remember specifically the details about it, but the person who their one trial was moved was acquitted mm-hmm. from that charge, too. Oh, okay. And then I think they got killed after that. It's pretty brutal, but uh, Scrimps should he have the right to request his court case be no. moved? No, no. Uh, he it's under he jurisdiction, be right? Just
4: like everyone else yeah. in, the, in, in the judicial system. All right,
3: I guess I'm just too naive. All right, here's my take: this dude's not a U.S. citizen. Why does he get the same rights as us? And I'm not trying to be a bigot or a racist a-hole or anything about this guy. He came from Canada into Michigan mm. to do bad shit. He was trying to get a gun because he was trying to learn about Michigan gun laws. Couldn't do it. So he said, fuck it. I'm going to get a knife and I'm going to go nuts in an airport. He's not a United States citizen. Why are we giving him the same treatment as a U.S. citizen would get in our court system? Why would we give this guy this type of thing? No. I mean. Done. Done with.
4: I I think... uh, He stabbed a a law enforcement officer. I think that's why our system is what it is. Justice. Everyone deserves justice. So everyone should be... You
3: know who deserves justice? is the guy who got stabbed in the fucking neck. Exactly. That that guy deserves justice. The guy that did the stabbing, he doesn't deserve a fair shake. He wants another jury so he gets a fair shake in trial. Too bad.
4: Yeah. I agree. I don't think a new jury is a fairness, but our system is supposed to be fair for everyone. Everyone should get justice because that's what our justice system is supposed to be about.
0: Yeah. And it's 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 a good thing, but it's also a perceived weakness. Right. Because uh, the idea is now he gets a trial with okay. potential to walk away. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, go over and stab, you know, a fucking security officer in Cuba. And see if you get a fair trial. It's not going to. They're just going to kill you in the street. They'll just shoot you. He won't even go to court. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so, although the court system is good, right? It needs to be there. Everyone deserves a fair trial. It's like, well, if a, a trial is an option, it's more likely people are going to do these things. How often do you hear about you know, terrorists coming into other countries to commit you know crimes like that? It's a. It happens in the U.S. It happens in France. It happens in a lot of. I don't say established London. countries, right? But ones that have those democratic kind of uh, Western court influenced. systems, exactly. Um, I don't know. It's. I don't think he will. Like Aaron said, it's the only one time in history has a, a one ever been moved. Mm-hmm. Kwame didn't even get his thing moved because
3: you thought he was going to get a fair trial in Detroit, and, and he <laughs> and he wanted to get it moved outside of Detroit so he get a fair trial, and they said no, no, no. <laughs>
0: Have fun getting tried in Detroit. <laughs> yeah, the second part of this is that um, um, Mr. Fatui, uh, his uh, legal team has asked for the names of all the names and addresses of all of the witnesses that were uh, taken and the event um, to do their additional questioning. Um, but the uh, prosecutor, Prosecuting team, thank you, um, is saying, "Hey, listen, we really don't feel safe to give these to you because your client." um is a noted like appreciator of uh um, you know american terrorism um celebrated nine eleven. um we don't really need witnesses because in the middle of an airport you stabbed a police officer in the neck with a knife camera but mm. we know we have to have them there just for the due process but we really don't see any reason for you to have them yeah so it's a really it's kind excessive. of an interesting thing uh, that they're going to have to navigate of Listen, yeah, we can't uh, give them to you because you're a fucking killer. Yeah, <laughs> basically.
2: It's probably they're probably going to have to do it just because it's the law. Yeah, it's and, an interesting. I mean everyone's going to get subpoenaed. I mean, that's pretty much what's. I just hope they don't get a lot of the information from that. Did the victim die?
0: No, he lived. Okay. That's if good. I'm not if I'm not mistaken. I mean, nothing that I read said he had pa- uh, passed away, so
4: isn't isn't his uh were good enough like yeah <laughs> i uh, was that's there the guy <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: mr uh johnson is the man who stabbed you in this room right now he's like you're sitting right there arm guards I all around him
5: that means we're prison married we could take turns being the girl <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right guys we'll be right back after the break the underchannel.com
3: home of the underchannel potting music movies
0: news and more uh, show recommendation for this week, August 21st, at the Sanctuary, uh, but it's not a music show this time. This is a screening of Slave to the Grind, which is a documentary about the formation of Grindcore. Dope. It was 1983, we're going way back, at a boat club in Nottingham next to the river here. They were 14 years old, just
3: blowing minds, really. When I hear a British guy talk, I'm like, it's automatic fact. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: Really, what's it like? Oh
1: man, it sounds like fucking Popeye screaming at people.
4: The grizzle Mm -hmm. and the
1: bass—that's grind, grinding bass sound. Um, A lot of alternative indie magazines
0: were then focusing on grindcore. To them, it was completely new thing. So it was a basically mid-eighties combination hardcore. And, and thrash but like super
3: just at zero level i mean I'm not, i don't want to shit on it but zero level of musicianship. Yeah. just know, yeah. fucking making noise and having fun for the sake of all, it all these
6: other people are laying and the metal carries. guys they're like i want to master my instrument and play it better than anyone
4: <laughs> <laughs> they were just talking about mastering yeah, the instruments <laughs> what a dick i am <laughs>
3: I mean, they had, a lot of these bands had sound very yeah, aggressive. Yeah,
0: I mean, the, good, the ones on that are good.
7: Sounding, which is the important part, music. This kind of music was always really integrated with, like, giving a shit about things. You know, we're all metalheads,
6: so we, we kind of already have that attitude of, like, fuck you, you can't tell me how
4: to live my life.
0: What is what is going on? And here? as much as this, it's, is just you know, the noise at certain world, points. This music. Nobody knows how to do what You can tell the good bands great. from the bad ones, right? It's you can, can tell if you put on something not like Napalm Death, or you can put on if we put out a fucking grindcore album next week. You can really tell the difference. So, although it's noise, there is musicianship. It's an interesting culture. I mean, pop, punk, rock, hardcore in general is is one of the most splintered subcultures there oh, yeah. is. Oh uh, so pretty much so, alive here.
3: Yeah you know what's great it's a great community too like that is a true community of people
0: yeah it's it's so interesting to me how much of this music still exists um when i was prepping up for this if you just go on youtube grindcore 2018 just pages and pages and pages full of albums and you know some stuff better than others lots of serial killer themes and you know sound bites and just kind of like bludgeoning noise but you know if you get, get through it you you will start to adjust. You know, that's the thing with extreme music is eventually your brain just kind of figures out a way to put it together. So uh, check it out. August 21st at the sanctuary.
3: All right. For uh, my musical contribution. Uh, this is corrosion of conformity. Um, I have two favorite bands that I love of all time. Metallica and Pearl Jam. All right. That's that's the top of the mountain. You don't get better than those two. But then after that, like the, the next part of the top five is like 10 other bands that squeeze into my top five, and it's just tough to- Depending to, on the time of just year. Just depending, yeah. <laughs> so Corrosion and Conformity is easily right in there with that, uh, that top five. This song is off of their album Blind, and they actually- this, this album was is kind of like a turning point in the career of the band. Um, for a long time, they were a hardcore punk band throughout the early 80s, um, I believe they released two or three albums. Uh, then they uh, they got another singer, um, and he they brought in more of a modern type of metal sound um, to try to uh, to go more mainstream. Okay. And at this time, I believe this album was '89, so they're not really doing um, hair metal realistically um they're doing more of a a testament um type of of sound where it's just it's metal but it's not hair metal screaming or anything like that it's just rock i guess you know
0: Uh, slaughter yeah Yeah, like straightforward it's like yes it's like hard rock continuing on past metal, yep. right? They've taken the, the maybe the guitar sounds of metal, but they're doing it more with a guitar rock.
3: Exactly. Kind of and that's feel. a good that's a good way to think of it. Now, this particular song is Vault with a Bullet. Now, this song in itself is an enigma on the album because the whole album does not sound like this song at all. And hmm. this song, they have another member of the band who was new to the band at the time and his name is Pepper Keenan. Mm-hmm. And He comes on, and he's a guitar player throughout the album, but on this song, they give him the vocal lead. All right. And this goes on to where they just, like, they must have all had goosebumps when they heard him sing and him do the songs this way. Because after this album, the lead singer I was talking about earlier is no longer in the band. (laughs) And then this gentleman, Pepper Keenan, steps in, and he takes over the band. Really? And this is the incarnation that would go on to release you know, platinum albums gotcha. in, into the mid-90s. Okay. Um, even to today, they're still putting albums out.
0: Does he continue to play guitar? Is he a front man? Like, He's he the a front beats, man and the guitar player. Oh, he player. still plays guitar? He plays okay, guitar cool. and that, absolutely. So this puts him into a, tr- they're a trio now? Uh, no,
3: there there's four members. Uh, Mike Dean is on bass. Uh, Reed Mullen played the drums, and uh, Woody Weatherman, he was the other guitar player, lead guitar player. Nice. Um, and you know, obviously Pepper Keenan on guitars and vocals, too. Um, their sound is gritty. It's uh, rough. It's... um grunge with metal steroids injected into it i guess you could say i'm excited to hear it it's i've heard i've stuff. heard
0: corrosion conformity's name forever and i don't think i could ever tell you what they sounded like yeah. so i'm really excited
3: this this is more their their sound of what they sound like today okay um nice. there's so many areas that they've covered so they're a good band to dig into if you want to hear evolution of a sound Their roots have always been in questioning authority.
1: <laughs>
3: like Don't, just because, you know, the Reagan administration says that's the way it is, no,
0: fuck yeah. that. There's something else going on. What was the height of this band's career? Like, you say multi-platinum albums, were they...
3: The biggest album they ever had was *Corrosion of Conformity* uh, *Deliverance*, okay. uh, like '92-'93 release, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was the zenith. That's as high as they got, and they were touring with Metallica and Megadeth and Ozzy, gotcha. and everybody, um, on MTV and regular rotation.
0: It's all uh, this has a white zombie feel to it. Yeah, with the vocal uh, effect.
3: And that's the thing too there's a whole genre of music that was like hey okay, everybody's aware that the 80s you had hair metal going on mm-hmm. but there was other genres of music going on at the same time they're not as popular mm-hmm. and then same thing with the 90s grunge grunge was the early 90s grunge only really lasted for four years yeah, absolutely and then it was gone but at the same time there were still other music genres that that were just as good such as bands like corrosion and conformity or ugly kid Joe
0: Know, other bands that were doing things. Yeah, this is when like Clutch and a couple of those bands were coming out as yeah. well. Like the early 90s there was a I'd say hard rock renaissance, but Yep. But
3: no, you're right. There are bands, you know, the Black Album from Metallica dropped and that was just as earth-shattering as Nevermind.
0: Yeah, I still think about that album a lot cuz I've never been the I know you love Metallica. Fucking love. love Metallica. I I've, I've never been a huge Metallica fan. There's like three or four albums that I really dig, but uh, the the black album when I got that it was a game-changer
3: Yeah, his vocal attack is, is is different than anything you would hear um, In terms of earlier albums by these guys including what's on this particular album and they it worked It clicked and they went on to make the rest of their albums this way.
0: Is he doing this part too? Yeah, so he's doing all the vocals. Yeah, this is I...
3: all his vo- you're not hearing the other vocalists at all gotcha Even the style of guitar riffs and stuff—the rest of the album does not sound <laughs> like this. Really, it's
0: really. pretty interesting. Didn't this band just tour with the Melvins not too long ago? Were they the ones? Well,
3: they—Pepper the, Keenan is also in a band called Down with uh, oh, Phil okay. from Pantera. And I know that the Melvins opened for them on an occasion. Uh Um, They played actually they played in Mount Clemens. They played at the uh, the Emerald Ballroom. I got a couple friends that went to that show.
0: That's cool. Yeah,
3: this is a band I'd love to see. I've seen Downplay at Harpo's, but I'd still love to see Corrosion of Conformity play.
0: This stuff's good. that's awesome stuff I uh I'm always so surprised like when again you hear these names for years and years and years and years and when you're finally introduced to them I don't want to say it's different than what I expected because it is what I expected but I just I almost I always thought Corrosion Conformity was uh, more chaotic okay I guess uh, like that's screaming very, and growl yeah and yeah it's very that's very tuneful you know that's, yeah. that's got a good it's a real good vibe very to it. accessible
3: yeah. right away yep yeah I, I, I enjoy the band a lot um even from their early stuff, you know, when I was younger, it, that message of question authority, you know, I was right there. It, it resonated with me all the time. so their music was more of a or type of thinking. yeah, so you enjoyed thinking like that. So yeah, I feel like skateboarders love corrosion and conformity. I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> the younger Channel
7: A pathway to the ears. Of the mind's voice.
0: Time for our recap of Episode 2, Season 7 of The Venture Brothers. Uh, this episode is called The call Affair.
3: You're not pronouncing that correctly. The Rochar Affair. <laughs> the
0: Rochar Affair. I couldn't, even, I couldn't tell you if you're right, though, either. So Ro-hol. Close enough. All right, so this episode starts uh, with a dream sequence. It's actually got two dream sequences in it, but the very first one is uh, Gary. Uh, 21. 21, thank you. Uh, he is... Having a dream where a whole bunch of villains are kind of talking down to him. Everyone that he's killed. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Because so I'm Being not super familiar by his with it. Ghosts, so, okay, that's the, interesting. His uh, and what happens is he wakes up and he's running late for work. And he's uh, on a mission with the Blue Morpho, uh, basically to uh, try to strong arm Wide Whale out of town. Yeah.
3: And one of the best parts about this, too, is the sniff montage. Did you catch that? Mm-mm. Everything he does. <laughs> He picks up and he starts sniffing, <laughs> like, like through the whole thing. Like he's getting ready because he's late. He's late as fuck to be, you know, to help out the monarch and their little scheme they're gonna do. And he just keeps stopping to,
0: yeah, <laughs> sniff his like, uh, yeah, like his laundry. Interesting. And, yeah, I didn't, I didn't it's catch pretty funny. It was funny. That's nice. a uh, clerk's uh, the animated series style humor. <laughs> right there. Uh, so, uh, the blue morpho. I don't understand why he thought he could go into wide whale's office and and kick him out or say like, you know, I'll kill you if you don't. He's about the most incompetent villain you'll ever meet. Um, Dedicated, though. <laughs> is, is a joke with him that everybody knows how terrible he is? In some regards. Like, yeah. everybody is constantly bad-mouthing him, except for Dr. Mrs. the girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Like, she has no idea. She thinks the Blue Morpho is, like, the scariest person out there. He's killing all these villains. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually her husband who's, like, the most incompetent superhero of all time.
3: Yeah, they they even her 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 she's part of the guild now, and they even declare like a PSA like safety meeting like there is no arching allowed now for your own
0: safety. No one gets to arch. <laughs> uh, so after the blue morpho fails at his assassination, uh, which announced to him pulling a knife out of his sleeve, uh, throwing it, hitting the butt on the bodyguard, and then just getting his ass beat <laughs> into the ground, <laughs> they slash over to a, a council meeting. Yep. Um, where we I actually my first time getting to see Red Death. Red Death is so. So what is the or how long has he been in the show? Red Death has been hanging around since the end of season six. All right. So, so uh, for you guys uh, who don't know, Red Death is a skinless uh, skeleton. Reaper. Ner- yeah, uh, he's a skinless. Is he human. Red Skull? I yeah, was right. about to
2: say, does he just okay. look like Red Skull? <laughs> I didn't it, think about
0: that. It's a, it's a very good way to describe Don't cheapen him. his. With a, do not cheapen <laughs> with Red Death.
3: So he's Red Skull.
0: With a scythe. And he rides a horse that so flies in the air with anywhere. flames. Got it. But he's red death because he's actually like death. He has like a scythe and rides yeah. a horse of flames. And so. he loves to kill. So he's a red, he yeah. loves red mask. He loves to kill. He loves. I haven't. Ever, he loves to kill. Like that's his. He loves to kill. And I would say he has. Hammering that home. Uh, one of the best voice performances. Like I've ever heard from a voice actor. Yes. He, it murders how good it is.
3: Yeah. It's, mm. it's uh, Liam Neeson. I don't know who you are. But <laughs> I have a special set of skills. It's that good, and it's like, called Death. <laughs> his name is Red Death. So, and it's funny too because he like he, basically they're in that meeting, and you don't know he's there at the point at that time, and like Phantom Limb is trying to play all the guild, ma- all the the villains you know in their arching rights and saying, hey, if, if you catch the Blue Morpho for us, we'll give you a year free of 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 guild dues. You don't have to pay your guild dues for a year, and you'll. You'll get personalized coffee mugs. You know, he's just trying to really fucking bullshit these guys through this stuff. And Red Death, number just, one villain, yeah. Red Death just pipes up in the back. He's like, "I'll catch the Blue Morpho for you."
0: He's like, "But it's going to cost you." I want a seat on the council. Oh yeah, I forgot about that subplot. Yeah, um, nice little subplot. There. Everyone's afraid of him, right? Oh
2: yeah, because Red they Death. realize. In, in why wouldn't world, you be afraid of him if he if he loves death so much? Why wouldn't you never? He's be
0: afraid old of him? school too. Yeah. He's been around for like forty years. Yeah, like in a world where like superheroes and supervillains exist, like just kind of like walking around, it's like oh, there's a guy who looks like a giant monster truck who's like shopping for groceries. Like he's the only one I've seen who it's like he would kill you. Like yeah. he's a character that he's like not, has no geez. moral compass at all. He's just if you're in his way, he'll kill you. If he wants to kill you, he'll kill you know. It's it's an interesting character for the for the series. Yeah, it is.
4: The outlaw of the villain?
0: Yeah, like the, the... crew. Yeah, like a true, like chaotic mm-hmm. neutral. Just like whatever gets him his endgame in sight, that's what's happening. It really doesn't matter either way.
4: Um, He's not playing games. Yeah. Uh, so, so then
0: it'll flash back to uh, Wide Whale again, uh, who now has uh, the Blue Morpho, uh, the Monarch, trapped. Tied and, up. And we find out that, uh, well, it's perfect, and I don't know if this has already been revealed, a wide whale wanted to kill the monarch anyway. Yeah, and it's kind of neat. And what happened
3: was back in season three, this is one of the great things about the Venture Brothers, is they tie things together so well. I've talked about it before where, like, there will be an episode, you'll watch it, and then, like, years later you'll be like, holy shit, all those guys were back. And they kept the continuity is great within this show. Um, but he, uh, you find out that the Monarch killed Wide Whale's brother. And it's one of the best scenes, and it really helps paint the picture of the Monarch in Season 3 and throughout his entire character about how much he hates Dr. Venture. And we're not, you're not seeing a lot of that right now, but his main thing is to get back to where he can, he's allowed to arch Dr. Venture. So in Season 3, he's not allowed to do- arch Dr. Venture again, and he's got to arch all these other guys. So Wide Whale's brother, Dr. Dugong, is one of these guys that he has to arch. This is a great sound clip from it, from that episode, that kind of goes into that. Character.
5: Well, if it isn't Dr. Mrs. the monarch, the Pupit Twins, and, uh, and... Come on, Monarch, what's the holdup? Will you
0: just try to do this right? This
4: guy's a chump! You get me in front of Dr. Venture, and I'll show you how I dance. Talk
0: about that later. Now, please, do it for me.
4: <sighs> okay,
0: fine. All right, go ahead. Oh, uh, oh. You may have found my inner sanctum. Shut up. What? Now, give us the key or the plans or whatever the hell yes, you doctor, have. I have a tank
5: full of gentle cuttlefish. Give us the cuttlefish. cuttle. I can't do this. Oh, you get so this. close, sweetie. Uh, just pretend he's Dr. Venture. Give me that gun. You abandoned me! You abandoned my hatred! I I have caught all that. Look into my eyes!
3: Whenever anybody pisses me
0: off and I haven't seen him in a while, I'm like, "You abandoned my <laughs> hatred." It just ties me back into it. Yeah, I had a, a question if that was from the show at some point because they flashed to specifically that scene where it happened. So, yeah, uh, really awesome. Side note to that, Doctor Dugong. Um, I had to do the research because obviously there was a Pokemon named Dugong, right? Um, <laughs> so a dugong is like a manatee. It's a it's a ocean mammal. Hmm. So if anyone ever wonder? It's not a seal. It's actually its own. Not uh,
4: not first generation Pokemon.
0: No, not first. Sure. They didn't come up with that. I, no, no Dugong is Gen 1. Well, I mean, it it wasn't a Why creation do you of theirs. Like that? Uh, yeah, Dugong was... Yeah, no, you're bad. right. Absolutely. My bad. Dugong. Sea... Sea... Uh, it involves from Seal. The seal. Sea cow. Oh, yeah, seal.
4: I, I never evolved that guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you weren't no Pokemon <laughs> master. It sucks. No. All right, and... Uh, so we talking about the... Bugs? Okay, back to... Uh, Wide Whale has him captured, right? So Wide Whale says, Well, you killed my brother, so now... I'd let, I'm going to kill you.
4: Prepare to die. But
0: <laughs> there's a side story going with him where um, uh, Hank, right? Oh, uh, his, Hank. Dr. Venture's son? Yeah, Dr. Venture's son, Hank, um, is masquerading as Enrico, who is his like alternate uh, personality where he's trying to like l- l- uh, earn the respect of her father, who's like a, a criminal boss. So he brings Enrico to kill the monarch and put okay. a gun to his head. Someone who has tried to kill him millions of times, like every single week for the first four or five yeah. seasons, is nothing but Dr. Venture trying to kill those two brothers. Obviously, the Venture Bros aren't killers. Uh, can't do it. Um, but I thought that was a pretty cool little yeah, twist. It was a nice you know, little thing that they really did. He, he knew what he was doing, too. He knew it was a Venture
3: kid. He knew it was the monarch, and the monarch is his That's their that's like his nemesis or whatever you want to say. So it was kind of cool how they kind of spun that on him, like
0: put the gun, shoot him. Just do it. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, basically everyone who's in the episode kind of reconvenes at one point, like they come in. Red Death has killed all of the crustacean guys. Um, It's really just kind of uh, I guess we'll we'll talk about the ending because what's revealed in the ending is that episodes one and two were running at the same time.
1: Oh, okay. yeah. OK.
0: So uh, episode one, where we got to see uh, we heard about the uh, you know, grandfather venture, his uh, <laughs> severed head was in the stand. Uh, and now the building is going to move. Well, that's what's happening across the street from where this entire episode happens. Yep. So and I found out that now this is all called
3: the Morphic Trilogy. And that's what these first three episodes of Season 7 are. Which will be completed next week. Yes. And I'm pretty sure that this is going to go down in history as one of the greatest trilogies of all time. Better than The Mighty Ducks? Lord of the Rings,
0: whatever you want to say. Absolutely. Wow. Bold. That's That's bold (laughs) prediction. That's a hot take if I've ever seen one. (laughs) Uh, Aaron, uh, well, I guess predictions about how this is going to end. Because uh, the spoiler they showed you at the end, they gave you a little teaser, is everybody looking down And seeing the original Blue Morpho car pull up, a person dressed as the Blue Morpho get out and enter the... I'm assuming it's the Venture building, right? Yeah, that's
3: the Venture compound. Entering the uh, Venture
0: compound. And everyone's kind of in awe, right? Because although the monarch has been masquerading as the Blue Morpho, he's not the original. um, And I think everyone thought that original was dead, right?
3: Yeah, everyone's thought that the the original Blue Morpho was dead. And what's great about this whole end scene here is Gary, 21... In order to save, the monarch, he came clean, to Doctor Mrs. the Monarch, and told her like the whole thing. Like they've been masquerading as the Blue Morpho this whole time, and, and she's all pissed off at him and stuff. And so they team up with the Red Death, and that's how you get Doctor Dugong, because Doctor Dugong was presumed dead. You know, we've already said that he killed him. Well, how's he in this episode? I was gonna say, did they find he was, him? Or he, he was in just witness burst protection. The wall. Red yeah. Death. They used Red Death to get him. Oh, okay. They found his locate because he will find a way. Yeah, there. It was interesting. It's a great episode. They're, it's so deep. So anyway, so they all come back. Like you said, they reconvene back at Wide Whale's place. Red Death has already brought back, you know, Doctor Dugong. Now they know that he's alive. You know, and Gary has already come clean to, you know, the to Doctor Girlfriend about the identities that they've stolen. And then that happens. The building starts shaking. Everybody takes notice. Everybody stops what they're doing. They see the blue morpho. And in the beginning episode, during that sniff montage, Gary's running late, so he wants to use the morphomobile to get there because it flies. Oh yeah. And it wasn't fucking there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. That's a good drop in the beginning. Didn't even yeah. catch
3: that. Yep. So it wasn't there because the original blue morpho had taken it. So then you see it fly in there, and um. The the monarch who's been posing as the blue morpho. When the blue morpho gets out of the car, the monarch's like, Yes, I'm off the hook. Like <laughs> the whole thing is he, like whatever he could, no, honey, it was it was it was that blue morpho. It wasn't me. Oh, that's why he was excited. At the very yeah. end, I
0: was like, Why is he excited? This guy's gonna be pissed that you were stealing <laughs> <Yeah>. his character.
3: <laughs> so he's he's back in the clear with Doctor Mrs. the monarch. So that's you know so now he's he's back up. And um One other thing that was pretty interesting, too, that you may not have caught then, is at the end of the episode, Gary goes downstairs to where the lair was. It's not there anymore. It's just a regular basement with a hot water tank heater and a washer (laughs) and a dryer, just like normal, and the the Morpho layer is gone.
0: Like, it doesn't exist anymore. See, I kind of just assumed it was, he didn't go into that part of it. No right? no, okay. no. Some, Something,
4: Not just uh, an illusion
3: It's going to be interesting to oh, see yeah. exactly how that plays out Coming up in, in, in the third
0: episode With the finale of the Morphic Trilogy right. Yeah, Which actually comes out this Sunday If you're listening to the show when this comes out on Friday um, The episode actually goes up Sunday night um, So get stoked I hope you guys are enjoying it uh, Really uh, liking doing these Venture uh, recaps so far Go Team Venture The underchannel. Join the fever, become one of us. Visit us at theunderchannel.com. Independent filmmakers have always existed, creating an iceberg of material where Hollywood is but the smallest portion of the tip. With their infinite bankrolls, the major studios choose which movies get top billing and which ones are snuffed out without a chance to find their audience. And this has happened year after year since the beginning of filmmaking. My guest today is Lewis C. Justin and his company, Massacre Video is helping to both resurrect past as well as foster current obscure films by offering highly collectible obs- uh additions for both casuals or obsessives looking to go a little deeper into the silver screen. Uh Lewis, thank you for joining me.
5: No problem and thank you for getting my first name correct and not calling me Justin.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I, uh the first couple times we relayed back and forth I, I did have that question. So um I actually and I think really I found a clip of you I've on ever YouTube to calls me
5: Justin. Really? Very bizarre <laughs> Yeah,
0: Yeah. (laughs) So uh, why don't we start with a little insight into how you formed Massacre Video.
5: I guess Massacre Video, I started it when I was 17 years old, just as something to do. Um, College wasn't really a thing I was not really capable of doing. It just wasn't something that I was lucky enough to get to go to. Mm. So it was more get a job or figure it out on my own. Um, I come from a line, I guess, of entrepreneurs so that's just kind of been in me just kind of doing stuff for myself and being self-sufficient and yeah that's really just how it started it started uh, in my bedroom and we started it as a uh, DVD store so I specialized in like hard boxes Japanese releases just stuff you really couldn't find this was as exploited cinema was shutting down okay if you remember those guys I don't Um, know they were It was back, I think, in the earlier 2000s and late 90s, the only two places you could really get obscure films, I guess there was a few of them, but the two notable ones were Diabolic, which is still around today, and uh, Exploited Cinema. And Exploited Cinema, I was decently good friends with the owner, uh, just going to Cinema Wasteland in Ohio, just being the nerdy kid who would always wrangle through his $5 bin. Hmm. Uh, We just became talking, and once he shut up uh shut down his shop he was kind enough to help me out a lot and put me in touch with a lot of foreign uh, distributors and filmmakers and so on and so forth so we did that for a few years i absolutely hated it uh ended up getting the rights to 555 about two three years in and then just shut down the store and worked a day job until i could afford to get 555 out but with the Little Money Massacre made back in the day, that let us get 555. Five, five, so.
0: That's awesome. And
5: then it all went downhill from there.
0: Yeah, so where did your interest in obscure films come from?
5: I've just always been into movies. Um, there was a really good video store I used to go to called Thomas Video when I was younger in Clawson.
0: Oh, I live and- in Clausen.
5: Yeah, it's the old, (laughs) I think it was next to the laundromat.
0: Oh, yeah, the laundromat right downtown. Nice. That's a strange building. Yeah,
5: It is, yeah. Thomas Video used to be next to it for many years. I know there was a location before that that my father and uncle used to rent uh, adult films at, but it wasn't that location. (laughs) And later on, yeah, I just went there a lot and just was a kid who rented a lot of movies, I guess. Nice.
0: Do you remember your first experience with, uh, you know, strange oddball or extreme movies?
5: Kind of, but not (laughs) really. Uh, luckily Thomas videos selection was all strange ball and odd films. Oh, nice. So it was more just what I was renting. I was just renting whatever and then I just grew to like it and I just kept renting more and more and more.
0: That's awesome. Um, do you still, I mean, with all the uh, years you've had in uh, those kind of movies, are you still interested in mainstream film at all?
5: I mean, depends on the film. Uh, superhero movies, not really. <laughs> Things that are more, I guess, I, I guess it would depend what your definition of mainstream would be.
0: Yeah, I guess. I go to uh,
5: the movies a lot. I have a movie pass.
0: Okay. You go to, <laughs> so. the, yeah, that, that would be a good one. I guess, yeah, um. Uh, Marvel movies would be a good example of, a, I guess, what mainstream would be. I guess whatever would get, uh, be getting the uh, award no, uh, noms toward the end of the year.
5: Oh, um, I mean, I'll watch stuff. I watch anything. I'm not really picky mm. about that kind of thing. I'll watch any movie.
0: Yeah, awesome.
5: in front of me, but I generally do stick to exploitation films because they are the funnest and I believe the most interesting of films yeah
0: you really you can't deny that I mean going through uh your you know your massive uh, massacre videos website it's just every page is uh, a bunch of stories you know there's nowhere else you're going to find that kind of collection um and then uh online or somewhere like your your label so
1: Oh, thank you.
5: Thank yeah. you very much. We try.
0: <laughs> uh, so you've released movies across a number of different decades. Do you have a favorite era of filmmaking?
5: Definitely the 70s, I would say. Um, you would have asked me two years ago, I probably would have said the 80s. But I've really come to appreciate the 70s. I think it was definitely the best time for exploitation. There's a lot of good stuff came out. I mean, it's it shaped what we have now. Yeah, for I better feel, or for worse.
0: I feel like the eighties gets a lot of credit for kind of um popularizing B movies or schlock movies. Um, but just from the you know, the little research I've done over the years, uh, you know, interviews with people like, you know, Rob Zombie, uh, different people like that, like a lot of them refer to the seventies because, you know, it obviously had to happen into the underground before people started to even see it in the mainstream. So uh, it would make sense that exactly. it would be that era. So
5: Exactly. And some of the most batshit crazy films I've seen are 70s gold, <laughs> as far as Amer- as far as American cinema goes.
0: Yeah. Um, aside from your work,
5: take us over in different decades.
0: But. Yeah, I could see that. it's interesting. So um, you would know better than me uh, the idea of uh, these kind of obscure films. Like, is there would you find a, a kind of a starting point or does each kind of uh, subgenre have its own origin?
5: I think it was just people trying to make money. It really, whatever they could do, they would just make money originally.
0: Yeah, similar to what we see nowadays, when uh, maybe a Pixar movie's big, and then there's three or four like uh, smaller companies doing imitation movies. You know, they're like, "Hey, this mm-hmm. is popular. Let's see if we can, you know, make a similar product at a low budget and make, yeah, make a little money." So,
5: yeah, a lot. I mean, a lot of it was just to make money. Definitely. And but there was good artist behind it. So it wasn't necessarily the art the artist and the producer are two totally separate things. Mm. So luckily a lot of the directors of this stuff were very, very talented.
0: Yeah. Uh aside from your work with Massacre Video, uh IMDB also credits you with directing three films. Uh would you mind talking about each of these?
5: Those are uh little featurettes for Massacre releases that oh, somebody nice. enters into IMDB. <laughs> Uh, one of them was a feature, but it wasn't really meant to go on IMDb cause it wasn't done and it's not really going to get finished anytime soon. Okay. So yeah, that would be the woodsman movie.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I noticed, yeah, I saw yeah. the other two were more, uh, you know, traditionally listed as documentaries. That one was a little more ominous. Um, so it was, the plan was for it to be a feature or is for it to be a feature. It's just about, uh, when can you get around to completing it?
5: It's, I mean, it's, shot and it's definitely a feature it's, it's just a lot of footage they comb through it was mm. meant to really be a uh, really cheap just shot on high eight project it was supposed to last over a weekend but it ended up getting drawn out and drawn out and just drawn out for like a year of shooting and next thing i know i have a bunch of money gone i'm just like what <laughs> the fuck happened <laughs> so yeah. and then it just it, it just was getting in too much of a muddled mess, and I'm very OCD if my name is attached to something. Yeah,
0: definitely. I, I understand.
5: So, yeah, it's going to be one of those things if it comes out, I have to sit there for months editing it. Uh,
0: so. so did you— uh, People aren't missing much. Yeah, did you make a lot of, you know, features or kind of home release stuff? Did you do a lot of filmmaking when you were growing up? I know you said you were interested in film, or when you were doing those special features, was that kind of the first time you have uh, took a crack at it?
5: No, I've been dicking around with a camera since I've been a kid. Um, Filmmaking was never really, I never really wanted to be a filmmaker or make movies. It was just something I guess I did when I was young because I lived in the Midwest and there's nothing else to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've worked on some stuff more recently. Uh, I worked on and edited an adult exploitation film. Called uh, portraits of Andrea Palmer. I don't think that's on the IMDb yet. I'm not <laughs> sure but That's coming out. That was the first feature I've edited. So I guess it's always kind of been There yeah. in one various form or another like I learned how to author DVDs in high school in my film class. So I okay. guess that's Where massacre came from because I knew how to author nice.
0: uh, wh- What's the process for acquiring rights for a movie? I mean, I'm sure they're all a little different, but they've all got to have kind of a a similar, you know, backbone.
5: Uh, I mean, the only similar backbone is you just have to find who owns it. The means of doing that for each film can be drastically uh, difficult. I mean, different from just very easy to very difficult. Uh, It could be as easy as just messaging a producer and going, hey, would you like to do something? And then talking and striking up a deal or it could be just years and years of like research and negotiating with people, and then finally it'll happen. It's 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 a crapshoot either way, but it's a very just long, drawn out ta- uh, drawn out process most of the time.
0: Yeah. Have there been any uh, kind of dream projects that you've worked towards, but just for whatever reason, maybe uh, you know leads burn out, you know people no longer affiliated, whatever it would be, that you weren't able to uh, pursue as far as you'd like?
5: I n- I don't believe in saying no for those titles they will cave at some point yeah, so yes there are tons of them and i'm still working on yeah. them so Every, one day but
0: everybody's gonna die at some point right
5: well if they die that would be even harder to get uh, you think so then it's just kind of yeah a lot of stuff limbo. like the director or producer were to pass away it just wouldn't really be we'd kind of go to their next of kin and then no. that could end up being like legal battles on their end for a movie that really if any court costs are going to be associated with it, it's not yeah. worth doing. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, what's the process I mean, at the for end of the day? They're they're '80s films, so I mean, they're not the most profitable films yeah. in the
0: world. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's yeah. a. We'll do that question first. Uh, what would be your your I guess your end goal for massacre video? Do you like to stay small press, uh, or would you want to go? Uh, you know, mass produce the kind of. I mean, there are. I'm not saying every exploitation movie gets mass produced, but there are some companies that do a decent job of getting them out there. Uh, something like shout like, Factor Shout mean? Factory as, as big as that, right? where like anyone who's looking for your movies, at least they'd be accessible, where right now uh, you kind of have to come across massacre video. It's not really out there as much as like some of the bigger uh producers.
5: Well, I don't know. I disagree with that. We're in like all stores, and you can even buy the website. So, I mean, I'll buy basically the entire catalog even on the Walmart website. Really? Uh, so, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, we have we have pretty good distribution. We have the same distribution as Severin, Synapse Films. Just we don't get the same amount of media coverage because a lot of people do it. But they're all in the same outlet. Nice. Well, I, I do Actually, apologize. Uh,
0: I, I didn't do my research oh, no, yeah. on that one
5: yeah but with like with shout factory that's like a special case like it's basically a studio Mm, okay yeah that makes sense that's a company with like millions of dollars behind them right but yeah as far as like just as i guess with the other genre labels most of us are all on the same uh, distributing platform which is a cav distributing based out of san francisco and uh everything's everything that's in print at least like some things do go out of print and we do we press all of our discs so we're having to mass produce them we're doing like in the thousand runs of everything and Mm. more if they sell but that's that's just usually hoped for not expected (laughs) yeah um but yeah they're in amazon best buy a lot of indie comic book stores i think we're in like a couple hundred stores across the u.s that's awesome uh yeah, I would like it to get bigger, but, I mean, realistically, we have a few years more to go on home video anyways. Mm. So.
0: yeah, Oh, yeah, it's the end is coming soon.
5: Yeah, after this slipcase euphoria that everyone is feeling, <laughs> I think the bottom is going to be kind of pulled out a little bit.
0: Uh, what's the process for putting together uh, special features or a pa- uh, bundle pack like you did for Enter the Devil?
5: Uh, with Enter the Devil, that one was... It's pretty easy, honestly. Uh, Most of the people involved with that film are deceased. So it was kind of, couldn't really get many extras. Um, A friend did a documentary called The Video Nasties Part 2, the definitive set. And there was a little sprawl about Enter the Devil by film historian Kim Newman. And so we just ripped it off that and put it on. So that's not really a new extra, but... Mm. Right before the release was set to go to press, um, the first time before it got delayed by like two months because of lovely slipcases that everyone <laughs> loves so much. Um, I like them too, so I shouldn't talk shit. But a person contacted us and said they were friends with the star of the film, uh, Dave Cass Sr. And we set up an interview with him and he came by our office and we shot the interview and edited it with him like, couple hours which kind of sucked and yeah. uh re the disc really quick so that one came together like that generally it the extras will come together when you get the rights because i'll be dealing directly with the directors or producers and then just from that they'll go oh well, i still have this person's contact and this person's contact and then you'll go down a wormhole
0: yeah you know? um that that we were talking now about-
5: luckily it's a lot easier to shoot extras because i moved and not exact. It wasn't exactly easy in Michigan because I would have to do a lot of traveling. But yeah, that out here I haven't had to do any traveling for It's,
0: it's got to be better. I mean, obviously the film industry will always be stronger in California than it is uh, uh, is back here. I sadly, I guess, would be a way to put it.
5: Yeah, we tried for a few years, but unfortunately, it didn't seem to pan out.
0: Uh, have you been able to meet anyone uh, involved in creating the films you've put out? I mean, obviously you just mentioned one, uh, but what about some? Uh, maybe ones that were a little bit more a long shot that you actually had a chance to meet.
5: Basically anything that's an American film. I've dealt with people who made it directly. Uh, the foreign films, I deal with them, but just over the computer. So we never really met face to face. Like the, or the, or, the Orisco director, for instance, we've just been internet friends for like a decade at this point. But Never really met because he doesn't come to J- the US and I've never been to Japan. So, yeah, I guess with I'm looking at my catalog right now and basically met people from all of them, all the US ones anyway. Yeah.
0: Is it a pretty uh, close knit community, I guess, in the modern exploitation distribution game?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, everyone basically minus one label works together and is really nice to each other. Yeah, that's great. And yeah. So yeah. everyone basically will work together, minus the, the yelling label, which,
0: mm. <laughs> which who, is fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, understandable. Uh, who is the main customer base for Massacre Video? Is it more of a domestic audience, a foreign audience? or?
5: Well, since we have our distribution's North American based, definitely here. Um, the biggest demographic is just people in the Midwest who don't post online. I guess that's the biggest demographic mm. for us. Um, yeah it, it depends on the title honestly Yeah. some titles won't do much in terms of foreign but generally the more gore oriented films that aren't like the low budget well I mean they're all low budget but the ones that aren't the more campy shot on video stuff that generally does pretty well overseas does it? surprisingly, well, I mean not really surprisingly but like Snuff 102 definitely had a very large European following
0: okay so would you say like the American exploitation uh, audience is more accepting of foreign than vice versa uh,
5: that's the thing I am not really totally convinced on who my audience is exactly <laughs> because when you like factor in how many discs dick uh ah, sorry disc you press and how much like feedback online you get, it's really a drop in the like the bucket with how much feedback you get online to actually what's moving. Mm. So I really don't know who it. I know who my demographic will be at like horror conventions, but the average person buying the disc, I'm I'm kind of ignorant to it in all honesty, because they're just buying from Amazon and I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's a great point actually. With your with your distribution, uh, you I don't I guess you you don't have the grassroots touch uh, as much as I would have assumed in uh, in those kind of genre films.
5: Back in the day, I, before I had a uh, distributor, yeah, it was I was doing every single process of Massacre, including the fulfillment, which is basically why it would take a little bit to get things from Massacre in the beginning, because you had one person doing it all. Mm. But luckily in the past few years, we recently have outsourced all of Fulfillment. We have CAV doing it and we just got a new person actually a guy named Jason Duran he's killing it thus far so it's very nice. nice and he's handling all of our direct sale fulfillment and I'm now focusing on what I'm good at which is acquisitions and I mean just basically the other 98% 98% of the business the fun part is really not the fun part uh, <laughs> the, the fun the fun part is just talking to the rights owners. Right. The rest of it's pretty Arduous and because we do even our restoration in-house now. Mm. So we're doing everything from scanning the negatives to Everything so That's it's a it's, it's a long drawn-out process.
0: Yeah, definitely. Why, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your working relationship with uh, Earl Kess
5: Yeah, Earl, I've known him for since around right after when I started Massacre and it was still a store we met. uh, He was just a fellow VHS collector and he had an adult job at the time while I was just selling exploitation DVDs. (laughs) So he was outbidding me quite frequently on eBay for Mm -hmm. VHS tapes and it was just getting to the point where it was excessive Cause everything I would bid on this guy just at as back when eBay actually showed full usernames. Yeah. Like who is this guy? And I was just like imagining this, this old man in a basement hoarding tapes, but yeah, stack, stack, not stack, the case. stacks, not Yeah. But he, um <clears throat> he, I started talking about five, five, five and we're kind of putting something together for that. And I'm not a graphic designer, but like, I know what I want in my head and, he was starting this event in the Poconos where he's from at a Stroudsburg called Severed, which was a originally a double feature screening night they would do. And sometimes they would have bands come and play. And so he showed me the posters for that. And he designed a 555 promo poster for me, which we which I actually actually no, I got that before I even had the rights to 555 because I had the producer sign those. Like I guess it was while I was in the process of that. Um, basically, after that poster, he has just done every single piece of artwork in existence for Massacre Video. So it's been a, I think, thirty-one DVDs, eight Blu-rays, and like sixty-something VHS. Then a few alternative covers thrown in there for good measure as well.
0: Wow, that's a it's a pretty big body of work.
5: Um, yeah, he he has the entire thing hung up at his house, and it's an entire wall.
0: Wow. Uh, when working on a project, uh, you guys uh, announced you're doing an uh, an alternate slipcover of Mister No Legs. Um, when you work yes. on a project like that, do you just let Earl kind of go crazy, or do you come to him with an idea?
5: No, we've I think done it so many times now; it's just kind of almost automated. Like he knows what I want for the most part, and uh, he doesn't. If it doesn't come out perfect, we'll just tweak it afterwards. But The main thing for the No Legs slipcover was there was this very rare poster for the movie that popped up on eBay a long, long, long time ago, and it was this alternative poster that had a sticker over this title card, and it said Mr. No Legs, and I'd only seen it once, and I think the people who bought it were that e-movie poster company, so it ended up getting just bootlegged and reprinted all, all the time, but... I'd never seen an original poster for that again. And uh, when I was meeting with the producer's wife of Mr. Nolegs in Florida, we were going through the old storage lockers and I was kind of keeping that in the back of my mind. I would hope there was one of those in there because it was literally all of the paper from the film. It's rather, it's, it's a lot. So I have yeah. about probably 15,000 plus pages wow. of paperwork on that film. It's very fun to go through, but towards the end of just like clearing out the thing and like unfortunately there were just a quick side note there were uh what was it 13 prints of Mr. No Legs that were completely rotted to the point where they weren't film anymore mm so that was lovely so that's unfortunate yeah yeah definitely but yeah at the end at the end of the thing in a, in a puddle on the floor cuz it was an it was it wasn't like a, it was like a humid humidity puddle of just grossness and stagnant water and black mold that has been there for decades and decades i found this little piece like a 7 by 17 with that artwork on it got very excited and then after that found an uh, actual one sheet without the sticker and i'm just obsessed with that artwork and i don't i think it would kind of hinder the main like the main distribution sales for it because the artwork people know from that movie is the one sheet in the uk vhs artwork
0: yeah so the one you chose to ca- use uh that what that was all black and white right you guys didn't alter it or anything that was what it actually oh, looked no, that's, like
5: yeah what this thing was mr no legs didn't do very well theatrically um included in the, all of this paperwork is the original Western Union telegrams back and forth from the producer, Paul Rubenstein to all of the drive-ins across the country. So I have all of his correspondence with every wow. single time it has ever played. And the film, <laughs> it, it just didn't do, it just didn't do well. Um, it only opened. And I think like 12 cities across the East coast and I think in Ohio, in Ohio as well. And then after the original title for the film is pushers die hard. So after for a southern run they did a they cut out all of the Mr. No Legs title cards and tried to just a new campaign to revitalize it and the posters that were made were silkscreen so it was just made there was a very small run of these made mm. so yeah it's just a one color one and done for southern drive-ins and it unfortunately did not do well either but the movie he did right after uh, Mr. No Legs did very well so i guess it made up a movie at four no legs did very well, so I guess it probably all balanced out in the end. But yeah, it's just a very odd poster for the film that isn't very known. So, and I've really enjoy the uh, whole shock show of the year and raw guts action. I like all the old tacky 70s uh promotion. Yeah, I like.
0: I like. It's a good use of kind of mixed media because there's some actual photography. There's some. Illustration. It looks like it's pulled out of like a fashion magazine. It's it's got a really uh, unique look to it.
5: It's a weird poster. I'm actually staring at it right yeah, now. Yeah. So actually, uh, so it's, am I. <laughs> it, yeah. It's very very bizarre. Yeah. It's one of the best. And there's this odd like, I don't know if it's we put it on the slipcase, but on the poster itself, there is a weird like water smudge. For some reason, okay, it's very bizarre.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's
5: a very, yeah, it's a very odd little thing. But it was only made for a few screenings, so there, I don't, I've never seen another original one ever. And they only had one there, and they actually had a lot of paper for their films. So
0: nice. Is that your
5: now it's on a Blu-ray slipcase?
0: <laughs> is that your favorite piece of uh, memorabilia you have from films? I guess exploitation films in general.
5: Uh, one of them definitely. I also have the mad ball that was used in the opening scene of tales from the claw dead zone. Okay. With a little candle in it. And I guess just like various weird things like tchotchkes, producers or directors have gave me some of that stuff's kind of up there.
0: Yeah. Uh, How big is uh, your personal film collection?
5: I thinned it down a little before I moved. Um, I think I got rid of about 200 tapes. I think. Okay. But I think I have around maybe 1,200 or something VHS and just disc I've accumulated. I don't know. Most of those are just in boxes. Mm. But it's not giant, but it's not. It's in hoarder status, but not as bad as some people.
0: Yeah. So. Is it majority? Uh,. Stuff that's hard to find or do you have, you know, your Forrest Gump's your Armageddon's uh, those kind of classics you see in every thrift store?
5: No, no, I don't have any of that. It's mostly I guess it's mostly just horror and exploitation
0: nice Uh,
5: Yeah, I try to mostly mostly tapes and Betamax
0: uh, You recently announced you'll be releasing a blu-ray edition of uh, director Damon Packard's new film Night Pulse um, is there any difference when working on a new release for a uh, or a release for a new film as opposed to something that was already put out?
5: It's they're sometimes a lot harder to push. Other than that, the process is for the most part the exact same. Uh, with this one, it's it's this one's been very unique. Are, are you familiar with Damon's films?
0: I I am not. No, I, I was doing a little Sorry. bit of research, at, you know, as I was prepping for this interview. But uh, overall, no, I'm not.
5: His films, they, they're very hard to describe, but a visual acid trip mixed with conspiracy theories and the end of the world, I think are good (laughs) just ways to describe them. So Damon's just a very, he's an auteur, he's a very eccentric guy, so we're just dealing with a lot of very interesting people with this release. We've had a streamline of characters coming in and out of the office who were involved in the film. Um everywhere from I guess stand-up comedians to trying to phrase this so it's nicely it's just some wigger kids okay but <laughs> the guy who they were nice yeah. they're nice and very talented yeah. artists but it was just it's just a very odd cast of characters they, The like this guy who produced the film spun was in yesterday oh nice because he's involved it's a great Demon movie surrounds himself with a lot of interesting characters. I don't think on purpose that they just kind of gravitate towards them because they're just working on some very odd energy level. Maybe I'm not (laughs) sure, but working on a Damon Packard release is a lot like watching a Damon Packard film.
0: Nice.
5: Damon doesn't wake up till 8 PM. So that's when you got to really kind of schedule around things. Uh, he has a lot of very interesting ideas when you're interviewing people, he'll just take over. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so I guess we had a lot. We had a good interview last night, and it ended up getting sidetracked into Bob Lazar land, if you're into conspiracy theories. So it's it's been a Night Pulse in particular has been a very interesting one. But um, new films are generally easier because the masters are already ready, and you don't. Have oh to yeah, that's got to be I huge. Guess that's really that's really the key difference. They're more you can just run like. Just make the disc, yeah. You don't have to yeah, definitely. scan film, color correct, resync sound, redo subtitles, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: Yeah, when I was and researching, a lot of
5: directors it, like giving you extras too, which is
0: nice. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, when I was researching, it, it looks like he began work on the film in like 2016, um, and it's planned for the release this year. Uh, how long into the project did you get involved? Um.
5: Well, I've been a fan of Damon's for a while after I saw his film Reflections of Evil, and he, he's, just, he's just a very interesting director. It's, there's no one really like him, and I met him after I moved here. Uh, my buddy Jeff cattell he throws parties with his wife quite frequently and does elaborate dinners like they'll do pies every night like (laughs) they'll do a pie night where every meal everything you eat is a pie of some sort be it sweet or savory and it's a very good very good thing
0: it sounds great so
5: damon generally will like i said he wakes up at like seven or eight p.m and the parties start around six he comes rolling in at around (laughs) nine or ten generally once people are starting to um go out and i just became friendly with him just through those and after he did a he did a premiere of his film at the Egyptian cinema here Egyptian theater and while watching it I was like I want to put this out nice. It's great. That's awesome um, yeah, and the next dinner which I believe was, uh, was that casserole night. I don't know it was one <laughs> of the it Wasn't casserole night. I think I just might have texted him. I don't remember but somehow it came up I was like Damon let me put this out and he was just like sure yeah. <laughs> and now he's bringing strange men to my office yeah. constantly so yeah.
0: must be nice when uh, when they work out so easy you know I know you've you've probably uh, had to fight tooth and nail for a couple of them so for something like this to kind of just uh, happen so organically it has got to be a good feeling
5: oh it's it's easy yeah really none of them have been that difficult I guess the one I just announced devil that was about a six to seven year negotiation Ooh. process almost.
0: Any, but, any reason like why, said, or I would you, you, you know, you don't need to, I guess you don't need to go into it, but
5: it's not really, not really a reason why it's just, they, it's a company in Hong Kong that has no idea what the U S video market is like. <laughs> and these films did very well for them on VHS. And it just took them a while to understand that no one's going to be really beaten down their door for these anytime soon. And on top of that, the elements were uh, withering away. Um, and there was one point they were even talking about throwing them away Mm. and I just had to beg and plead them not to. And eventually they came down to earth with their prices. Uh, so
0: I mean, they were going to throw it away. So
5: (laughs) yeah, they were literally, well, it, it got to that. So they got, I think, held on to the last breath and now they're kind of finding out that. They can make just a little bit of money with these, and I'm going to make a brand new master for them. Granted, the elements for this movie in particular, they're in good shape as far as like the film itself goes, but unfortunately the climate in Hong Kong is not exactly the most ideal thing to store film in. Uh, so they're a little molded, and mm. we we ran them through a hypersonic cleaner two times, and the mold is just in the film now; Ooh. it's not gonna come off. But we cleaned off a lot of the dirt, so it looks it's not dirty anymore. But it's got I don't know if you've seen the Blu-ray of House on Straw Hill, A.K.A. Expose from Severin. Those that's a comparable element to compare it to. It's okay. just there's like splotches of like green glowing things kind of throughout the film.
0: It adds to the charm, though, right?
5: I mean, it's a film about people puking up worms, maggots, snakes. (laughs) So it's really one of those things that's probably got to get a lot of the form people angry. But would you rather watch your video Asia bootleg of it? Right.
0: Uh, So, I mean, that's (laughs) really uh, the bulk of the questions I have for you. I mean, other than, um, you know, give you a chance to obviously plug anyone you know, anyone you work with. Um, and then talk a little bit about what you have planned for uh, Massacre video coming up. I know you just put up a couple uh, new releases you have coming out.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I guess one thing, there's the Massacre video, because I decided to do a podcast because I'm very terrible at talking, and I figured that could be a way just to talk to some of the weirdos that I meet that no one gets to hear from. It works. Like the like the employees at Blue Underground. mm no one even knows these people exist.
0: <laughs> yeah, but great. But people who are, you know, film people, they, if you're really into film, like you do whatever you can to find the information you want. You know, you listen to an interview with people who have interned at companies. So,
5: Yeah, with, the, with, this, with our uh, genre stuff, for some reason, no one cares. And uh, <laughs> There's a lot of just people I've met out here since I've been out here that have worked alongside me all this time and we haven't really known each other. And the more we talk, I'm like, you guys are pretty crazy. We should let people see how crazy you are. I feel like that's a, that could be a thing. It's just to try <laughs> something new. I don't know. Yeah, so we're going to be doing a Massacre that. video podcast. We're going to start that next month at some point. Uh, the first guest is going to be <clears throat> Matt Desiderio, the owner of Horror Boobs, based out of the lovely Queens, New York. And... I guess that's really it for plugins nice. minus upcoming releases.
0: Yeah, definitely. And now uh, you want to let people know where they can find you online
5: at massacre video at basically every social, well, I guess not everyone. There's a uh, quite a bit of them nowadays, but Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Vimeo, but I don't think that's an at sign. I just think that's a slash and that would be about it.
0: Okay. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I no problem, man. Yeah. Anybody listening, uh, please uh, do me a favor. Uh, go out and check out Massacre Video. Uh, putting out some uh, very interesting films. It's the kind of things you're not... You probably, unless you're looking for it, you're not going to come across it again. So, uh, thank you, Justin.
5: You fucked up. Call me Justin.
0: The Underchannel, Subterranean entertainment. Time to unplug and sink in.
4: So, we're about to listen to this dude from Maine, I believe, and his name is Spose. East Coast? Yeah, East East Coast. Coast. You know I like my East Coast rappers. (laughs) East Coast are Southern rappers. That's, like, about it. I figured everyone else was going to put, like, rock bands and stuff, so I was like, I should do, like, a... It's not my fault. This I drink Mountain Dew after Mountain Dew, then drink a Pepsi. I haven't exercised since 2003.
0: I had Burger King for breakfast, then KFC, and I'm fat now. Thanks, Thanks Obama. Dealt with some similar things. I cash my check Friday, I'm bimping again. I bought weed, beer, and some video games, and I'm broke by Saturday. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> I'm at the bar spending all of my cash Getting wasted like a burger in the trash Hopped in my car all drunk and then crashed. thanks oh,
4: probably turned up a little. Thanks Obama.
0: It's not as loud as you I think it's when loud, I mean it's louder than street, you think in the actual recording Because yeah, it's looking, I killed a pedestrian knocked a box truck crooked These handcuffs hurt Thanks Obama,
7: <laughs> thanks Obama. I'll never heard this song by <laughs> This
0: this is a detriment to... This is my biggest issue with white rappers, is they always have to have some kind of goofiness to the music. Like, ever since Eminem was doing, like, the, the bum song, remember when he's like, putting his bum all over people? Wait, wasn't that Tom Green? He copied it. Like, oh, really? He spoofed it, I Well, so say. many, um... <laughs> But white I rappers guess. are always, they have to have, like, a goofy side. And then like they can go serious or something. Yeah, they can go serious, but, like, they always have to have something where they're, like, running around with a rubber chicken, like, and making jokes. Or so you're referencing, know, like, little Dicky like like in a way. Isn't Lil, that guy? Lil Dicky's yeah, exactly. He's so yeah, but Lil
7: Dicky's not, like, a, like he's just, like, yeah, a... Yeah, but what was that other rapper that we saw? They were in the backyard and uh, doing that bit where he's, like, Ah, oh, I'm sorry, talking about his, like, ex, but it was funny at the same time. Oh, yeah, it's, like, it's still funny. White way, rappers, right? like white comedic rappers. Yeah, I see your point um, no, there. Cause like,
1: Cause white the people are, you know, got that white pride.
7: Oh, white I didn't
0: take Oh, you mean that white power? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh you're, you're talking of our white power, of course. <laughs> oh my god. Look at, look at all the white what privilege the we have right
1: here.
7: <laughs>
4: what the
1: fuck?
7: Oh my gosh.
0: This is oh, a fear like pump.
4: Jimmy's. Jimmy's something like
0: the curb Why pull. is he got the Cobain sweater on? At, at eight my. Hmm.
4: But I get what you're saying, there's a lot of like, white rappers that do like comedic shit. Yeah. It really plays off because like they're rapping about real shit nothing. They are joking about
6: it
3: the whole time.
6: Yeah, I get it. <laughs>
7: my fault i
6: made my life suck like what serious so white rappers and, some are out there? and lost my job my boss. Um,
0: the only one i know is ra the rugged man Homeless. and he's not super serious but For
4: like you get into the super God. serious rappers they're like For fucking... Trauma,
0: they're like militant black people like yeah you know like <laughs> uh <laughs> they're like straight up like why? like say Nas, right, I don't know if Nas, but like, but like, but Nas, that's what I'm saying, and he's like super serious as a rapper, and he's like gone very big into like, uh, black culture, you know, like he's like, uh, I not want to say uplifting, but it's more like rhetoric that he speaks now, he doesn't really rap about stories anymore. Like, you ever hear that song like, yeah, right. where all he's rapping about is, like, walking through the ghetto, like, uplifting, like, with power? Like, it's just, like, he's all about, like, a positive message in the black community now. You know, like, he's a serious rapper. He, has he used to be a like gangster a rapper. Well, he used to be more, like, they, I, I heard he was, like, Jay-Z initially. Like, he was more of a gangster rapper. And then, or, I mean, at least old-school gangster. And he's kind of turned into...
7: I'm trying to decipher his actual message of, like, thanks, Obama. Like, is it because these people are stuck in this loophole of, like, their poverty situation, but I'm they thinking. get a little bit just to get by, and they're they're maybe or may not be okay with that situation, but they don't know any other way to get out of it? Yeah. Is is that what I'm seeing here? I'm
0: thinking here? that's what it's going by. Well, the, the thanks Obama thing is, like, it's something that uh, Democrats... People that uh, people from the left say about Republicans or conservatives when they're spoofing, making fun of the president, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, uh, "Oh, uh, you know, I, I ran out of uh, gas in my truck." Oh, thanks, Obama, right? Because it's like the idea he's killing the economy. It's just like it's like a modern throwaway punchline. I don't know how to explain it. It's like, uh, what the fuck's the other one? The it's b- just like a hit towards one side yeah absolutely it's just like it's like because it's it's irony cuz the idea was Mm -hmm. that when when Obama was president white conservatives only blamed Obama for everything you know it's the the, whoa
6: you vibrate the same
0: idea now where it's like everybody who's Democratic thanks Trump for everything you know everything that is like the president all of a sudden has more power like they have power right but all of a sudden it's like local things are changing like regional things are changing like the president only has certain overarching power like absolutely and like the idea that one entire half of the country always hates the president is ridiculous. So why the fuck are we talking politics now? Well, it's not really politics. I mean, you well, I guess, yeah, you Well, I've never song. seen this oh, I, I thought. Oh. I, I don't know it's a political podcast, <laughs> but I, mean, I didn't know we're sitting around. I didn't have my. I, we're pundits now. You know? Let me, let me bust out my Listen charts. here in your fucking. Uh, charts. <laughs> your statistics. jumpsuit
4: here you're wearing. It's,
0: it's a separate pair of shorts. The onesie, right? Is that onesie? It's just, no, it's, it's a, a romper. It's you're a wearing romp. a
4: man romp. A man a ramp.
0: Just because I know how to coordinate Uh, color (laughs) 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 to all one color. (laughs) I was Uh, jumping rope, man. You're jumping rope. I was out there jumping rope today. So was this
7: made before Obama left or after? Let's take a guess. Uh, I want to say. after okay. Obama already, I do Obama
4: too. Oh, no you, no, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. And now that was that might have been Pernell Obama. Davis. No, no, what is that? Louder doesn't make it better. Obama, you can't yep. just say his name.
5: He, he doesn't say his name like that. Can somebody give me some barbecue chips? What the That's was
7: that? Enough. So, so he still was president. still in office. Yep. Hmm. Weird, right? It is weird because I would understand. The point of, like, running out of money or something because, like, Obamacare and stuff is, like, you know, they're trying to abolish it yeah. right but now. The G with, but G will But I don't know. That's that's, that's a whole other topic, you only, right? Jimmy,
0: you only get one song. Uh,
7: fuck only you. one song, huh? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs>
0: it's not like you gotta gotta what?
7: would you say?
3: The of craps.
7: What'd you say? These damn whippersnappers. I don't know what the, hell, the, the hell is is. Tra- like the... What are you even saying? Have you seen my hearing aids? What the hell, you?
0: The computer. I don't know what the hell you. My favorite wrestler of all time is Kevin Nash. Uh, Second. Unfortunately, the, his prime was over by the time I was about ten. <laughs> so, uh, as the WCW collapsed, which I will always remain loyal to the WCW, I think uh, the. I mean, The Nitro era um, was the best wrestling I've ever seen um, after watching whatever. But I had to go to WWF, right? Because I was still... I was 10. I had to go to WWF and see what they were doing. They had DX. They had copied NWO with bringing DX out. It was fine. They were all friends. But I needed a new favorite wrestler. And that came in the shape of Kane. Um, another big, big man. machine. Yep. Um, obviously, it's hard to say, not as charismatic as Kevin Nash because... Kane you didn't talk didn't talk but he had a different kind of energy so we're doing a tribute this week to the retirement of Kane um, after he recently won the uh, mayor he's a mayor-elect of Knox Tennessee Next,
6: Knox County Tennessee
0: Knox County Tennessee yep. so uh, most likely this will be his, will have been his last match he had a match recently right
6: yep at extreme rules him and Dan O'Brien faced off against no actually I take that back well oh, he was there but they did a little pre-match segment where he was attacked, but he came back at the end. But it was him and Dan O'Brien against Luke Harper and Eric Rowan for the tag team titles.
0: Gotcha. And the voice you're hearing is Curtis. Uh, he's an old friend of Aaron and I's. Um, I am a wrestling fan uh, from the fringe. I like wrestling. I can watch it, but I don't follow it anymore, and I've wa- I've had huge gaps in it. Aaron?
3: Same, same thing. I mean, after the NWO disbanded, I've had periods where I would watch wrestling again, but... Uh, To say that I know wrestling is not a true statement. You wouldn't want, I would not say that. But I do enjoy
0: wrestling. And Steve despises wrestling, even though he dresses
2: like one. <laughs> I don't so, despise it. I just don't watch it. Don't watch it.
0: So uh, well, we have Curtis on. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of just talk through uh, Kane's career, and we're going to watch some clips of what I consider uh, his finest era, or my favorite era anyway. So, Curtis, let's kick it off. When did Kane. Uh, make his debut
6: so before Kane we had Isaac Yankum who was portrayed by the same guy Glenn Jacobs uh, he came to the WWF in 1995 as a dentist he was he was brought in by Jerry the King Lawler as an evil dentist shockingly that didn't get over uh, he was brought into feud with Bret Hart after Bret Hart made Jerry Lawler kiss his foot
3: Oh, God, I remember that storyline. Oh, I forget the Isaac Yankum part of it, but I remember that. That's
6: typical 90s wrestling for you, yeah. right there. And obviously that didn't work for him. So after Kevin Nash uh, left to go to WCW, uh, they were kind of um, in WCW playing off their – Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were playing off their Diesel and Razor Ramon characters. So there was lawsuits with WCW and the WWF. So WWF was like, oh, you're playing off these characters, but we own the names Diesel and Razor Ramon. So they gave the name Diesel to Glenn Jacobs, and he was dubbed the fake Diesel. And obviously, if you're the fake or the second or the reincarnated version of a previous character... Obviously, that's not going to get over. Yeah, it is at all. not going to get over.
0: And there's pictures, and I'm sure there's matches of him floating around as the fake Diesel. Oh yeah, it's fucking weird to yeah, see. Yeah, like, is weird. It's so hard. It's I, like I, they I, gobbled him up with shoe polish. Yeah. <laughs> well, that like that silver and black uh, look look is so iconic yeah. uh, for for Kevin Nash at the time. So uh, it obviously didn't work. Oh no. Well, so uh, but his next gimmick would be Kane. And yes. It was a massive. Uh, Legendary Hall of Fame. Yes.
6: So in nineteen ninety seven, the Undertaker was Undertaker and Paul Bear had went their separate ways. And Paul Bear had told a story about how when they were younger, uh the Undertaker's family worked at a funeral home and the Undertaker burned so
3: great. I love (laughs) (laughs) kayfabe.
6: Undertaker burned the home to the ground and in the process killing his family. And then Paul Bear broke the news, the Undertaker that his brother Kane had survived the fire, and that he has been living this whole time, locked up because he was ashamed of his burnt figure and everything.
0: And that was the first rivalry for Kane, right? Was the Undertaker? Yes. Because I remember epic. him making the debut, an and I believe breath. he choke slams the Undertaker. It was at I, the time all the Undertaker did was dominate anyone who was in the right.
6: room with him. So for months, Paul Bear was teasing that his brother Kane was going to be coming, and to get revenge on his brother. October fifth, nineteen ninety seven. Bad Blood in Your House, uh, one of the greatest matches of all time, Undertaker and Shawn Michaels in the very first Hell in a Cell match. Uh, Undertaker Undertaker is about to finish off Shawn Michaels, and the lights went off, and the flames came up from the entrance, and then Vince McMahon, classic commentary,
0: it's got to be Kane! (laughs) And uh, then Kane
6: (laughs) comes out, tombstones the Undertaker, and then the rest is history. That was the debut of Kane.
0: So, how far after the start of this did they turn into? Because they were a tag team. Not long after that, right? Uh, the Brothers of Destruction yes. was only a year after that. It maybe? was the
6: summer of 1998. They briefly came together for a few months, and off and on they were, you know, gotcha. there'd be brothers on, on off and on. They'd come together, fight, come yeah. together, fight. And while
0: doing the research for this, I loved to find out how prolific of a tag team wrestler Kane was. Yes, uh, so. We're, the era we're about to talk about, I'm just going to leave, it was X-Pac. The yes. X-Pac era with him, Tori, and Kane. Um, but Kane was an 11-time tag team yes. champion.
6: If so. you count his WCW tag team title, the WWF-owned WCW tag Absolutely. team title, it yep. would be
0: 12. Yeah. So uh, some of his partners, uh, he was. Uh, he won it once with the Big Show, uh, once with Daniel Bryan, which I never saw but apparently, it's his best run. He was just yes. run for like almost a year straight tag oh, team yes. terms in terms of Daniel Bryan yep. in terms of longevity. Team yep. Hell No, yeah. I would not call that his best run. It's consa- It was ranked as I, I did watch
3: during the Team Hell No time, and to me, that was like garbage kayfabe. It was his
6: most entertaining as a character, as coming out mm. as a character and entertaining. The funniest, funniest segments with Daniel Bryan, I'd say that was probably his most That's entertaining.
0: Two times with Mankind, which. Man, is there a more brutal combination no. in their prime to be up against? Like, you're you're gonna get buried alive. You're gonna get fucking stapled. You're going through <laughs> something, <laughs> getting thrown off something. Uh, once with the hurricane, which I do remember. Uh, once with RV. I always which get I him confused
4: with Bloom County's Bill the Cat.
0: And then twice with X-Pac, which is what we're gonna start right now. So we are we're gonna start with Kane and x Kane and X-Pac versus the Acolytes, and this is when they won the tag team title for the first time.
3: I love Sean Walton. Like, he
0: was so underrated. Yeah. As every character... Pay attention to the intro. We
6: got it. I always... Oh, I always loved pirate, Like Kane Pyro Pir- yep. into the DX music. They spliced Classic.
0: the two introductions together.
5: Would. In every way you can this was the... the challenge
0: height of the attitude I Yeah. What
5: have they
0: done to that? And the way they hit the ring together is That's really what does me. it it's for me, like right? This is cool so far, you're like, okay. Yeah, I can see they're going for both of them. But...
6: And they were kind of thrown together, too, because they're both kind of feuding with the corporation at yeah. the time, Pittsburgh Man's Corporation, and so they just kind of the threw them together one night, it's a yeah. tag team and then they are and tag titles
3: together presence and made you feel it's like you were in
1: the, in the in a ring. With a yes. yes. Yeah. And yeah, this yeah, is hard. I mean, this is automatic. This is full masking
0: like uh, yes. when he didn't talk, all he did was destroy. Um honestly the fact that I think he's even like Aligned with X-Pac was a big deal because like tonight, Kane is a monster. Is He's killed as a Castrol. devil. Yeah.
6: And that was kind of one of the storylines they were going to was that because Kane was locked X-Pac up for all these years these and X Pac was his first WF WF human interaction, Man. I guess you could say. So they're saying that X-Pac was making Kane human. Humanizing him from the monster.
0: All right, so we're going to hit on base points about his career while we do all champions. this. And uh, one I thought was pretty cool. Tonight, so I don't know how you guys remember Kane. I remember him in this version well, this and the one that happened right after where he's gold. got the half mask, uh, and it's a little bit more, These are not I don't know, intimidated by by Yeah, kind team. of a tank top yeah that's the cane that i remember the most but do you guys know that he actually he's been unmasked since 2003 (laughs) yeah i don't doubt that so he only was a masked wrestler for six years he did he's been unmasked for 15.
6: he did go back and forth putting the mask back on and taking it off but
3: the, most part. the first part was
6: June of 2003.
3: It was a big deal when his biggest
6: that was That was probably one of my favorite Kane moments was the unmasking the first time. The match against Triple H at Madison Square Garden. Because didn't they have it like
0: it looked like he was still burnt? Like yeah. they had like yeah. fake hair tacked onto his head. It was like he had like
6: the half shaved head and yeah. it looked kind of goofy, but just the moment when he. Whipped his head and choke slammed RVD. No, it was a great moment. I
3: just say, they're wrestling against one of the best tag teams of all time, too. Acolytes. Acolytes
6: are one of the most brutal tag teams. If they didn't like you, you'd know it. You would get brutalized.
0: Was there ever Acolytes versus Steiner Brothers?
6: I don't believe they're ever in the same company at the same time. But that would have been that would have been
0: pretty brutal. Oh,
4: yeah.
0: What you think, it, Steve?
4: <laughs> <ball>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Does it
0: help you uh, imagine it when you like realize these guys are like bigger than LeBron James? With Kane is like seven foot. Yeah, he makes LeBron. Yeah, James yeah, like Kane good.
2: is a tall dude. He's yeah. very Like if, yeah. if I if I went up against him, I'd shit myself. And I'm fairly
0: certain Farouk wasn't NFL or Bradshaw. One of the two played uh, uh, NFL. Uh, Maybe Bradshaw uh, for the Titans uh, or something like that. Something
6: Farouk was a college all-star when he played for... The uh, I'm guaranteeing that. Uh, I don't remember Bradshaw where he played, but he was, a, he was a big college football player, champions. and so was Bradshaw.
3: Bradshaw is one of those guys... As this character in the Acolytes, I love him On par with like, how oh, I love Kevin uh, Nash. He, he just some beat the, the
6: shit out of them. Then
3: he, he became report, JBL, hopefully. and I was like, this guy. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. He, he was like one of the most you. classic heel turns oh, that made me go, oh!
6: But that's what he was going for, so he did his job.
3: Got over.
2: How do you like all this wrestling
3: terminology, Steve? Heel huh? By how do you like don't all of the wrestling terminology? I mean, I, I get it.
6: You <laughs> cool. don't even realize how big some of these guys are. Like, I mean, yeah. here. Sean Waltman, X-Pac, he's a small guy, but if you'd be sizing up to him in real life, he's probably a pretty big guy.
0: Yeah, it's when you watch basketball. It's like when you watch basketball and you're like, oh, look at those little guys out there. Well, those little guys are 6'3 and 245. Right, exactly, yeah. Like, but X, Xbox was always my X-Box's least favorite heart, DX member. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, lo- I loved Xbox, I mean, especially around this time. He had
3: the best Back attitude of the, uh, most wrestlers, their, uh, period. He
0: just
6: got crap kicked out of him. Yeah. him. He was just a little a full piss of him. and be. better than Billy Gunn. The New Age Outlaws,
0: unbeatable. Unbeatable.
3: I really feel like the New Age Outlaws were DX. Jesus. Um, I mean, obviously... And they just
0: couldn't be the leader. They needed a Triple H, H to... They needed yeah. the 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 yeah. <laughs> Triple, oh Triple H and Shawn Michaels. But
1: I still feel like they
0: were the attitude of... They
6: brought something different so. to the X. Because initially it was just Triple H and Shawn Michaels in China. And then once Shawn got hurt, then they needed something different.
1: Oh, expensive
3: oh, to make the tag when I was a kid I bought into that so hard <laughs> <laughs> he's never gonna make the it
1: it's a flying
2: machine oh, he's a fucking
0: flying machine on the,
1: machine. <laughs> on the
2: air-locks. I yeah mean, uh, when you're probably a kid like this is probably like, the sweetest thing ever oh this shit. is life this is what? life
3: Kane, like, this isn't necessarily early Kane, but prime Kane. The WWE knew what they had, and they sold him the right Boy, way. Just, yeah. Of end of Kane's career, he was just a jobber. Now,
1: I, now, I
6: would oh, I slightly know. disagree with that a little bit. Kane was always a guy that, wherever he was on the card, he made it work. Whether he was... Opening match, middle of the match, main event, whatever he did, he made it work and it made sense. Yeah.
0: They used him to build uh, superstars. Like he was one of the guys
6: you had to go through Very before you got the to the of the
1: job. uh, no, no.
6: Jobbers have never been world champions.
0: That's true. And he's, well, I mean he was intercontinental champion for a time. I believe he was even the hardcore champion. He was, I we
6: have the stats, he
3: was...
6: WWF champion once, he was an ECW champion. Hardcore champion, world heavyweight champion, two time intercontinental champion, and 10 time tag team champion. ECW
3: champion after
0: they've sold The out. WWE
6: okay. ECW yeah, champion. Independently. This All right. Has right. Been a
0: long time Most in uh, biggest part of Kane's career right here.
1: With me in the big red machine. Because
0: this character would have become boring after three or four years before this point.
1: Hold on. Kane has got two words for you. What? Wait, oh No.
5: Is <laughs> that speech hey. thing? You don't, you don't need this damn thing anymore. Come on,
1: let's hear it without this thing. It's come nice. on. Yeah, that up.
0: voice box when he was younger. Can't believe now.
1: this. Kane's got two words for us. Fuck so <laughs> it. <laughs> Okay.
0: And I remember so when this had happened, game having a discussion the of Inter-Town. is Kane gonna have a green, green, out green outfit? I is remember he yeah. go D- a lot green. of people were, yeah, the oh, is he a member of D the Generation X? Like,
3: so what's going that that on here? Here comes Taker, and you see how big Taker was compared to
1: Taker.
7: Oh, they, uh, the 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 they were double teaming
0: king. The Road this is uh, a wow, it wow, looks this like game. Big Show is oh, working oh, out. Oh, oh, yeah. And this show. looks like just before uh, American oh, oh, Badass man. Undertaker. Yes. Yep. He's transitioning to that more biker look. One. This yeah. This is from later. And
7: look at the carnage that has been left at the hands of the Undertaker and the Big Show. And a non-wrestling
3: shows. fan, Steve when a man like The Big Show came out in just tidy blackies, how did you feel about that?
4: And they aren't moving. Yeah, I I'm, not,
2: not I'm more stunned than anything. It's like, what? When you're and that you
0: can, big, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You can tell The Big Show was super proud of how hard he was working out because he never wore like no, he never just, wore, just a straight yeah. Speedo. He wore a fucking singlet. All the time. In the WCW when he was uh, the Giant. Yep. You yeah. know, So you don't become you know 35 and start wearing a Span... Uh, fucking underwear. Sounds Have like you seen the Big Show
6: lately? Time? I He don't. is in the best shape of his life. Really? Really? He is oh, looked like he awesome. just thrown in the dryer. I back in
3: WCW days, you like, god, this guy looks like he just drinks all day. He did. does all over himself. He did. I'm sad to wakes say. wakes
0: up I, to wrestle. I always assumed the Big Show would probably be dead by now. Yeah. It's just because of, of how size. big he yeah. is yeah. and it's just like a tough life. Yeah. So, that tag team uh lasted for about a year, I think in total. This is only a a four or five months later but they had just they had worked their way up to become the tag team ch- uh, champions right yes that great. so yep. uh a couple months later uh everything changes i yep. guess you know we didn't mention this but uh the a part of this storyline is that down kane, down kane had a girlfriend kane. as well yep. uh tory it was kind of his first girlfriend
6: his first love you know what I just of? and um Why? Uh, once D-Generation X got back together with X-Pac, uh, X-Pac said that DX was a little side thing that he was doing on the side, but him and Kane, that's what's real. That's what's real to him. And then we'll find out here that uh, it was all double-cross.
3: Fade, tugging at the heartstrings. Kane back into the, ring. the big red machine. Oh!
1: Right
6: in the donats.
3: X-Factor. Yeah, just Damn watching this right c- at the beginning of the match too. It's God. nuts. Like,
0: watching this clip, just the, even the Dudley Boys. Look at the old hey, Dudley Boys, tie dye. Oh, Do I mean, you guys know who dr- uh, who trained it. Kane? Huh. This is a great poll. I was really happy when I found it. I put a fucking asterisk next to this one. <laughs> <laughs> he was trained by Dean Malenko. Oh, really? Ooh, baby, he's a nice man, the yeah. man of a
3: thousand holds. He's yeah. a
6: trainer. He's a wow. heck of a trainer. He's to play a few Ooh, people.
3: Triple H coming in there.
6: That's right, Billy Gunn.
3: Oh, well, that was, there the was okay.
4: okay. Looked like Triple H.
2: So, does no nobody like this guy? <laughs>
0: like <laughs> like <laughs> you, would you? Would you like him? him.
2: Kane? I got yeah. nothing. I would have nothing against him, but if I'd, I
0: had to work with him, I would probably become his sidekick. Yeah. So he just thought I was indispensable. <laughs> I'd open doors for him, um, whatever he needed. <laughs> oh,
3: man. Triple, Triple H, man. man.
6: This is my favorite era, Triple H. Nineteen ninety-nine, two thousand. Loved him my
3: time.
1: A carry your big ass is over!
3: <laughs> yeah. Kay. DX had to have made X Pac do your this. Was right about they had to have been part of the storyline. And
0: you're not DX material! You know yet. it's
3: not real, right? There damn it. <laughs>
0: Did you catch that? Was he buying was he buying into <laughs> it? Like, oh no, <laughs> DX made him do wow. this. They brainwashed him. They, those guys <laughs> were friends. I mean, I don't know why he would be like this. <laughs>
3: There's no reason for this. <laughs> Right at the beginning of the match?
0: All right, so before we watch the final uh, clip that I have, which is, I wouldn't say the ending to that storyline, but uh, in in about a month, Kane gets hurt. He uh, breaks his hand, and he's out for a month. Real life? And we're going to watch his comeback. Uh, Yeah, in real life, he actually broke his hand, so he was out for a month. Uh, But before that, uh, talk about unmasked Kane. Because on top of losing his mask, um, he he did work his way up and become a major headliner, right? Somebody they used... um, you're right. He was, was he ever a WrestleMania headliner? No. no probably not. No. Maybe he definitely SummerSlam headline. headliner. Oh, yeah. Maybe, Other you know? pay-per-views, for he, sure,
3: especially when he was feuding with The Undertaker. Yeah. And he may there not have been WrestleMania headliner,
0: lines. but like his match was, what, if he was on WrestleMania, it was one of the biggest matches. Yeah, you know? especially He's, his
6: matches with The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Yeah, they were definitely yeah. one of the bigger matches of the show.
0: Yep. And I, I haven't watched Kane in a long time. I know he got super like big and kind of like an ogre. He looks kind of like Shrek at one point. <laughs> um, but he became the GM, right? He was corporate Kane, corporate which Kane, was
6: yeah. pretty <laughs> much God. Triple H and Stephanie McMahon's hired sidekick, I guess, to go out and Just do all their things. dirty work and yeah. everything that they didn't want to dirty their hands with. But that was probably my least favorite game. <laughs> all
0: right, let's go ahead and watch this. We're going to watch the uh, final clip. I got a few more little things to sprinkle in, but all right. This is Kane uh, returning after being injured and we're live here on Raw. So take her in the rock to... Get how dark the Rock used to be
2: The no Rock with hair. I don't know what this I was is like. just
0: gonna say that this guy used to have hair
3: Wonder who Vince McMahon worked out Because Vince McMahon got ripped. Vince McMahon is a
6: different human being. Even at his age, at 72 years old that he is right now, still works out at five o'clock in the morning every day.
3: And that's not how he started out. Like he didn't start getting big and buff until like 90. Well, he was kind of low
6: key big. I mean, he was always wearing a suit, so you couldn't really tell. I think once he
0: once he started introducing himself as a wrestler into storylines, he had to start working out because he's gonna get hurt. Because for the, the longest time as a kid growing up, he
3: was just Lowe the guy that sat there and Patterson called the matches. Yeah. He didn't know that like he was even the owner of WWE. I mean, people did know, but as a kid, kids didn't know it
6: that.
0: Right. He was just the guy calling Was the he match. an announcer and an owner at the same time? Yes. I thought his yeah. dad owned it when he was the owner. No, this is No, him. Him.
6: he purchased the company, I think, in 1984 or early 80s. I know it was early was 80s because his dad passed away in 1984. He's been owner ever since.
3: I don't think it was until nineteen ninety eight or ninety one, ninety two. It was after the Montreal screw job, I think is when you seen oh, Vincent Mann come so out from behind nineteen ninety seven, yep. Yeah.
7: And you deny it.
1: So one and that's when he became and the other one swears to it. um
0: Mr. McMahon. Ah, Mr. McMahon. Okay. Yeah, I don't know enough W I like Just I said, W C W was my jam. I don't ass. know enough. Yeah, as soon Early. as the NWO then, came, then I went WCW.
1: You don't have the guts to fess up. Now then, but before that, it was
3: all WWF. W-W a lumberjack.
1: <sighs> lumberjack. Oh, boy. Come oh
0: on. I love that the ta- that taker looks like the dad from uh, Grounded for Life in Blade. He <laughs> gets <laughs> you know, his hand cut off. Yep. What do
4: you mean? Well, this is going to be fair. He has a
1: good actor. Yeah, yes. Donald. Donald Gold.
3: He had that show Terriers when he last long, but that that was a great uh, show. He played a crazy character. Donald Lowe.
1: I think his name
0: is. Donald Donald Lowe. Yeah. big boss man? Oh, man. Justin Albert.
6: I was mad in those and stuff McMahon at this time. It's
0: okay. It's
3: all right. Nothing wrong with that. Oh, Shane O'Mac!
0: I am always amazed how Shane O'Mac got over. Yeah. He's he's the best wrestling McMahon. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's sweet.
7: Hardcore too.
6: He fearless. Even even now he's still jumping off stuff.
2: All right, so I'm kind of confused. What the
0: hell is going
6: on? <laughs> all right, so we jumped
0: a month into the future from the last clip. Okay, I got that. So these two are having a match right now. They're both feuding with Vince McMahon. Okay. So to fuck them over, he brought out all of his goons stand around the ring. Lumberjack match means they can't step out of the ring or those guys outside get to beat them up and throw them back in. Oh, okay. Yep. That
2: makes sense. Yep.
3: It's so cool when Lumberjack matches
2: happen. I mean I feel like lumberjack matches are, should happen all the time. Hell yeah.
0: sometimes you had them where like there was good guys and bad guys on yep. side of the rings and there'd be fights in the middle and yeah. it was awesome.
6: Yeah. The bad guys would get thrown on the good guys, yeah. the the old old guys side, the good guys would throw the bad guys.
0: would involved. You watch uh modern yes. wrestling. Do they yes. still do lumberjack matches? It's, it's such, such a, a classic
6: art once part. in a while. I mean, just everything's different now that They like just them, went, so. they
0: took the fight
3: right to them in this. This is great. Yeah, I remember this. <laughs> There's like forget the match. Let's go
0: after these guys. I feel like the lumberjack match—it was designed to be a treat for all the audience members. Oh, like yeah. before oh no, you're an audience member, you would like yeah. be
2: losing your mind.
0: Oh, but like you might not get to see like in this uh, earlier than this, like you might not get to see your favorite wrestler come back to your region for a year. Right. Oh, yeah. So like yeah. it's like oh bring everybody out to the ring, everyone gets to see him. a big.
3: The crazy thing about wrestling too is like this is Monday Night Raw. This is every Monday it's live. But they still tour the country and do house shows. Yep, four or five days a week. Four or five days a week. Yep.
6: The toll it takes on their body is ridiculous.
0: <laughs> Highly recommend Beyond the Mat if no one's seen it. Yes. One of the best documentaries I've ever seen.
6: Also, if the movie The Wrestler, Mickey Rourke. Oh, yeah. Mickey Rourke. It's a somewhat accurate portrayal yeah, of uh, aging guy. wrestling.
2: Take down the other taker. A, a lot of people. A lot
0: got it. <laughs> yeah. I think Triple H hit him with a sledgehammer once, <laughs> and, but then he sat back up like three or four seconds. Well, back, right. yeah.
6: Triple H hit everybody with a sledgehammer at one time.
3: You know what's great is this whole match is building up to to who we're talking about, yeah. who we're doing this tribute to, and when he, it's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be great. Yeah. One of those classic things. And this is his comeback,
0: right? only a, He had been injured. Exactly. He had been missing for a month. And only this a character of back. his caliber could pull this off. Yeah. So the uh, somebody asking who the guy in the white shirt was, that's the kayfabe medical staff and like the people out there trying <laughs> to be like, break it up, they need to
3: have a match. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: That's Pat he's Patterson. Like, yeah, as Pat we Pat say, that's
3: Pat Patterson. Pat, he's a wrestler at one time or but a But he's like the
0: heater. director of operations back when he shit. was
3: yeah. Younger he was. That's right. They always drag Pat Patterson and the other guy out. Gerald all Briscoe? Time. Gerald Briscoe. The Stooges. Yep. Always. I can't believe the big boss man is out there though. Yeah.
0: What a, he's like the buck like bagel this. Pa- he's catching a paycheck. Yeah.
2: Never gonna wrestle in a match. It's really weird that The Rock is considered small here. Yeah. He's a big man. Yeah. No, like because like how like. How big he is now, Yeah. Oh!
3: Yeah. It's a larger than life entrance. Just booting him
2: down.
0: I love that he kicked one of them in like the side and he fell down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my cue. Yeah. Ah, my only weakness, my side. I love
6: how it's like, okay, let's go after him one at a time, not all gang up yeah. on him.
0: Yeah.
3: Well, let's. Oh shit!
6: Oh Boom! Damn, that was a, that was a big one. His Damn, man, choke was slam good.
3: was better than anybody's. Like the Undertaker Agreed. was one of those guys with a great choke slam. Oh, but one-armed! The Kane choke slam was better than anybody.
2: It's very impressive too, yeah. because like how much strength you have to do yep. to lift like a 180-pound dude and just throw I him on the i tried to chokeslam a guns.
3: lot of people over the. Oh, there's not a dude in that ring under 240.
2: They just maybe it, X-Pac, maybe. And just do it without like, where it feels like no problem.
1: Man. I
3: want this belt. I this? I the I belt. Attacker. Belt mine now. Did this lead to a triple tag match? Yes. Threat
6: King of the Ring, it was uh, Rock, Undertaker, and Kane against nice. Triple H Vincent Shane.
3: Oh, could have been so much better. But I guess for the storyline, that's good. For this time period.
6: Now, one thing about Kane that a lot of people talk about was his uh, WWF title reign. He won the title uh, at the King of the Ring in 1998. He beat Stone Cold Steve Austin in a first blood match. He only held the title for one night. He lost it to Austin the very next night. And for years, he would never be world champion. And a lot of diehard wrestling fans, even if you're not that big of a fan of Kane, you're like, God, that guy deserves, mm. he deserves a legit title reign. Yeah. And then finally, uh, the very first Money in the Bank pay-per-view, Money in the Bank 2010. Uh, he won the SmackDown Money in the Bank ladder match, and on the same night he cashed in Money in the Bank to become World Champion, mm-hmm. and it was like, yeah, you, you felt it because you knew how much he deserved to be the champion at that time.
0: It's so strange that a fake title like that, like it, I know what you mean though. Like I know right. the emotion behind it. Like it's like, it's like you for a little while you get to be the leading man of this production. Right. You guys are a play group. And you get to be Romeo and Romeo Juliet for however long yep. you get to run. So yep. really cool. Yep. Um, I don't know if you guys had anything else. Uh, I, w- I guess I'll just say, you know, fuck you, yeah, African. Yep. Moving into politics, I really don't recommend anyone going to politics. It seems awful. But, um, it's his passion. It's yep. really not the kind of mayor you're going to fuck around with, right? Uh-huh. He says, <laughs> if he says you got to put garbage out on Tuesdays, you, you can just put it like out on Monday. You put a guy like that and you don't realize how intelligent he is yeah. in real life. But I will end it with uh, my favorite stat that I found um, throughout all of my research. Uh, Kane has appeared in more pay-per-views than any other wrestler to ever appear in the World Wrestling Federation. Really? He's appeared in 173 matches in pay-per-views. Taker behind him, 168. Triple H behind him, 166. John Cena, 159. And Randy Orton, 149.
6: Uh, I don't see... uh I'm holding that because guys like Randy Orton. Yeah, stole Randy that.
0: Orton's a young buck to have appeared in that many, but yeah. um, we have to owe it to longevity, right? Oh yeah. Uh, we, those guys we talked An about, Taker, character, yeah, yep. Taker missed time, always came back as something new. Triple H missed time, tons of leg surgeries and back, or quads, neck surgery, yep. lots of issues. Kane was like a stalwart in the federation for mm-hmm. 20 years. You know, he was. always there the character never really died they reinvented it a few times you know it looks different Kane from 2017 doesn't look like Kane from you know 1998 but it's okay you follow the character
6: he he was a constant in the company as I like to call him he was somebody that was always there and always reliable always delivered
3: Thank you for listening to The Under Channel today. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Visit TheUnderChannel.com for more. And don't forget to find our show on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, or any of the other spots that you find your favorite podcasts on. Click the like button, download, rate us, whatever it takes. Show the love and share.